You're listening to the Acadiana's Morning News Podcast, brought to you by LABI and always on kpal965.com. It's a time of reflection and thankfulness to God for all of his wonderful blessings to you, me, our families, and this great country. And of course, there's great food too, turkey and mashed potatoes, gravy, and more. I love it all. But did you know the average Thanksgiving meal is nearly 4,500 calories? It might be a little less if you leave the whip cream off the pumpkin pie. But why in the world would you do that? Here's something else I'd like you to think about during today's celebration. And unfortunately, it may cause some stress and strain around the dinner table. I'm referring to conversation with your friends and family. Sadly, conversation is an art form that some of us have slowly lost over time. Families are often too busy today and don't have time for regular meals together. And that's sad. I remember having great times of discussion and laughter around the table with my wife, Jean, and our two boys. But another reason why communication may be failing is because of your phone. If you and your spouse and children are all staring at your various digital devices, you're probably not getting a lot of face-to-face time and good conversation with each other. Hopefully, you'll be able to rectify those problems this Thanksgiving when you're seated around the table with your loved ones and friends. And here's a tip. If you want to avoid the same old small talk of news, weather, and sports, try something different this year, like asking questions and then listen to the reply. You know, in today's social media world, everybody's talking, but nobody seems to be listening. But if you take the time to ask questions and really listen, you'll be surprised by how much people will open up to you. I recommend you ask open-ended questions that prompt the other person to share something about themselves. Simple questions like, describe a time when you've been happy in your life, or What do you want to achieve this coming year? You can ask about favorite childhood memories or the passion that gets people up in the morning. Now, experts will tell you to never discuss religion or politics, and you certainly don't want to get into a debate during the meal. But what if the other person enjoys these topics? You can ask about their perspective and then listen to learn something new about them rather than jumping in to argue your point of view. The fact is, most people simply want to be heard. This is especially true for people who may be going through a difficult situation. And you can show a lot of compassion by asking what they need most. And maybe you could even offer to pray for them. Thanksgiving is a wonderful time to reconnect with people and to be thankful for all the good things God has blessed us with, family and friends and great food included. By the way, those 4,500 calories probably don't include the leftovers you're going to have tonight. I'm Jim Daly, and on behalf of everyone here at Focus on the Family, happy Thanksgiving. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. To hear the podcast version of this program, go to foxnewspodcasts.com. And for all the latest news, go to foxnews.com. My Pillow is having their biggest bed sheet sale ever. The My Pillow percale sheets are available in a variety of colors and all sizes are on sale. For example, the queen size, regular price $89.98, now only $39.98 with your promo code. Order now as there's a very limited supply. The My Pillow percale sheets are breathable and have a cool, crisp feel. They have deep pockets to fit over any mattress. These come with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. 
Go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square and use promo code Westwood to receive the MyPillow per kale sheets for as low as $29.98. Order now because when they're gone, they're gone. Or call 800-653-7485 and use promo code Westwood. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. One in three adults has prediabetes. That means it could be you, your best man, your worst man. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org to know where you stand. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. News Talk 96.5 KPEL, Brobridge, Lafayette, a town square media station. Broadcasting from the Matthew James Financial Studio. A vigil in Virginia. I'm Dave Anthony, Fox News. The night after a Walmart manager in Chesapeake shot co-workers in a break room, killing six, wounding six more. I can't believe somebody would have that much business in their heart to just to, to just to shoot everybody like that. Police don't know the motive. The gunman killed himself before officers went into the store. In Colorado Springs, the accused gunman in the nightclub shooting that left five people dead ordered jailed without bond. Anderson Aldrich appeared before a judge via video link in a wheelchair with visible injuries to their face. That's because clubgoers injured the shooter, fighting back and stopping the rampage. Ahead of Aldrich's court appearance, their attorneys notified the court the defendant is non-binary and goes by they-them pronouns. It wasn't clear how that might factor into any bias charges. Fox's Jessica Rosenthal today marks nine months since Russia invaded Ukraine. A missile barrage yesterday killed at least 10 people, knocking out power and water service in much of Ukraine. There's yet another legal issue for former President Trump, someone who had already sued him for defamation when he denied, while he was president, her allegations that he raped her in the 1990s has filed a lawsuit accusing him now of that rape. Writer E. Jean Carroll's lawyers took action on the upgraded lawsuit just minutes after a new state law took effect in New York. The Adult Survivors Act, which took effect at midnight, says for one year the usual deadlines for suing over sexual assault in the state are lifted. That's Fox's Tanya J. Powers. The crowd's building in New York City for the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Fox meteorologist Adam Klotz out at the front. As always, at the start of the parade route, over my shoulder, we've got Turkey Tom. We also have the job green giant how we always begin this of course there's a lot more to it than that we've got 700 clowns yes that sounds a little scary among 5,000 other volunteers and of course kind of the star of the show always those 34 gigantic balloons the character balloons on the walk-in i saw baby yoda i saw the pillsbury Doughboy. we've got some new ones also among them stewart from the minions america's listening to fox news if you have certain chronic conditions such as heart disease asthma 
diabetes. And you're 19 years of age or older. 52. 36. 42. You may be at increased risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar 20, pneumococcal 20-valent conjugate vaccine, a Pfizer vaccine that can help protect against pneumococcal pneumonia in just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. The most commonly reported side effect was pain at the injection site. For additional common side effects and full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. I'm going to ask my doctor about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20. It's been more than a year since the chaotic U.S. troop withdrawal from Afghanistan as the Taliban took back control of that country. And amid reports of poverty and hard times in Afghanistan, a return to hard rule. Twelve people, three of them women, received between 21 and 39 lashes in a soccer stadium in Logar province. The Taliban say they were all guilty of moral crimes such as adultery, robbery and gay sex. We're told the invited audience included hundreds of honourable scholars, mujahideen, elders, tribal leaders and local people. This is the second public lashing this month, but none had been carried out since the Taliban seized power in August last year. Jonathan Savage, Fox News. A lot of Americans are waking up at grandma's or their parents' house or some other vacation spot. More will be traveling today for Thanksgiving. More than 54 million of us expected to go somewhere this holiday week. For those who drive, gas prices at a record Thanksgiving high. AAA's national average for regular around 3.58 per gallon, though that is 14 cents cheaper than a week ago and what's been a big decline lately. 4.5 million people are expected to fly with airfare almost up. 43% from last year. For domestic flight, it's going to cost most travelers $350 a ticket. Hotels are roughly 14% more expensive than last year, and that is according to the travel website Hopper. And even though inflation and gas is up, it isn't stopping people from traveling for the holidays. Fox's Ashley Strohmeyer. After all the feasting today, a lot of football. There are three NFL Thanksgiving games. First, the Buffalo Bills play the Lions in Detroit. Then in Dallas, the Cowboys host the New York Giants. Tonight, it's the New England Patriots versus the Minnesota Vikings. There's also what they call football everywhere else. Soccer's World Cup continues today. Switzerland just beat Cameron, Cameroon 1-0. I'm Dave Anthony. This is Fox News. Your 24-7 news source, on air, online, and with the Cape Hill News app. Now the headlines from the Cape Hill News Center. For Cape Hill News, I'm Brandon Como. An Opelousa City Councilman's job may be on the line because of where he lives. St. Landry Parish District Attorney Chad Pete filed a petition in an Opelousa's court to remove Opelousa City Councilman Floyd Ford from office because Pete's petition alleges that Ford does not live in his district and that his actual address is different from the one listed in the Louisiana Secretary of State's elected officials database. That's according to our news partners at KETC. According to Pete's filing in court, the petition is based on a complaint from Delita Broussard, Ford's opponent in the December runoff for the District B seat. Ford won office in 2018 and is currently running for re-election. A hearing is set from November 30th at 9 a.m. to decide whether or not to remove Ford from office. Lafayette-based restaurant delivery service ASAP, formerly known as Waiter, says they will lay off 100 employees shortly after January 1st. ASAP cites a, quote, prolonged decrease in revenue, end quote, 
as the reason for the reduction in force. The company says they lost about $73 million in the third quarter. They blame competition and deliveries, inflation, and high fuel prices. And don't forget, Saturday is Small Business Saturday, a day to do some Christmas shopping at the local mom-and-pop stores. But for today, for everyone here at News Talk 96.5 KPL, we want to wish you and your family a happy Thanksgiving. Listen to your favorite KPL shows on demand now. Subscribe to Acadiana's Morning News Podcast and listen to every hour of the show anytime, anywhere. Find more at kpl965.com. Welcome to the Guy Benson Thanksgiving Day Special. What does it all mean? A look back at the midterm election results and what this means for the 2024 presidential election. Here is your host, Guy Benson. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone, and welcome to the Guy Benson Post-Election Special. I'm Guy Benson, and we're here for the next hour to dissect what happened on election night in the midterm elections just a few weeks ago. What does it all mean? Where do we go from here? We have a few guests coming up to break it down, starting first and foremost with Josh Krasauer, senior politics reporter at Axios and a Fox News contributor. Josh, great to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Happy Thanksgiving. Guy, happy Thanksgiving to you, too. All right. So let's just go through now that the dust has mostly settled and talk about what happened on election night just a few weeks back. Starting with governorships, Republicans were expected, or at least expecting on their end, to have a pretty good night, maybe even gain a governorship or two net-net. They ended up losing two net governorships. What happened there? Yeah, well, Guy, the story of the governorships is that Republicans came very close in two very blue states, in Oregon and New York, but they couldn't quite get across the finish line. But in a lot of these swing state governor's races or even red state governor's races, Republicans struggled, didn't do well, didn't do well at all in Michigan, Pennsylvania, um, New Mexico. They did win the, the, the governorship, the one pickup Republicans got in Nevada, though Democrats made gains in Arizona and in the blue states of Maryland and Massachusetts. So it was a net two governorships to the Democratic Party, which is a much better than early expectations and a sign that, you know, while Republicans did have some success stories in that they narrowed the margins in some unexpected places, they couldn't because of candidate quality, because swing voters went against them in the final few weeks, they couldn't uh, win some of the big battlegrounds, the biggest swing states, including the Kansas governor's race. Yeah, I mean, it was largely a status quo election across the board, which is a pretty remarkable thing to see when three quarters of the electorate is unhappy with the direction of the country. When a vast majority of voters are unhappy with the direction of the country and you've got an incumbent president, party running the entire show in Washington, that president very unpopular. And then for the most part, everyone just reelects all incumbents with a tiny handful of exceptions from both parties all across the country. That's a highly unusual event. And since we're talking about governors out of the gate here, I think this point does help underscore some of the broader dynamics as well, Josh, in that Republican governors, incumbents, including very conservative ones to moderate ones across the spectrum, did, for the most part, exceptionally well and exceeded what people were expecting from them, including, of course, Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida. That margin still blows my mind, almost 20 points. Really strong showing for Brian Kemp in Georgia, Mike DeWine in Iowa, Chris Sununu in New Hampshire, just to name a few. Incumbent Republicans kind of blew it out. That's right. There was a big 
split ballot phenomenon in, in those states that you mentioned where Governor Governor Sununu, for instance, won going away in New Hampshire, even as Don Balduck, the Senate nominee, lost badly. You know, Governor DeSantis really set the tone for, for the Republican Party in almost winning Florida by 20 points and winning Hispanic heavy, uh, heavy areas like Miami-Dade County and Osceola County, uh, expanding the Republican Party coalition in Florida by largely his his handling of covid and the pandemic opening the state up ahead of other states georgia you mentioned governor kemp that was another split ticket state where governor kemp easily and comfortably defeated stacy abrams but uh we're going to a runoff in in the senate race where herschel walker finished about a point behind senator warnock so i think the big story is that these incumbents these these conservative governors governor abbott in texas among them really showed how you can be successful how you can win votes how you can build broad coalitions but you need the right candidates. You need that type of leadership. And there was a disconnect at times between the Republicans at that top of the ticket versus the, the down ballot Republicans who were, didn't have quite that record and reputation. Top of the ticket also involves Senate races. And this was a Senate cycle, at least so far, in which not a single incumbent has lost from either party, which is extraordinary. You had sort of first time candidates without great, let's say, track records of success because they were new to the game, some people who were endorsed by Trump and were seen sort of as fringe on certain positions and that kind of thing, those folks lost who were Republican challengers. But even sort of a consensus, strong-looking candidate like Adam Laxalt in Nevada went down to defeat as well. All the Republican incumbent senators won. The only seat that has shifted hands from one party to the other so far is Pennsylvania. There's another opportunity for that in Georgia in this December 6th runoff. But, Josh, what are your overall takeaways from the Senate picture, which is going to be 50-50 or 51-49 for the Democrats after the December runoff? So the number one takeaway is that the candidates that Trump promoted, whether it was Dr. Oz in, in, in Pennsylvania you know, we, whether you're talking about a Blake Masters in Arizona, the the, the weakness uh, of some of these candidates was was, was obvious. Uh, Republicans like a like a Masters, for example, ran behind the top of the ticket, ran behind a lot of the the more moderate uh, swing district uh, Republicans on the ballot, uh, and really cost Republicans the Senate. Democrats are either going to stay even at 50 seats, could gain a seat if they if they win in Georgia. Uh, Walker, we'll see what happens in Georgia, but he underperformed Governor Kemp, like we just talked about, uh, signaling the fact that a, a more moderate or more mainstream Republican could have won that Senate race. Uh, so there are a lot of missed opportunities on the Senate board for the Republican Party, meaning that they could end up losing a seat against expectations. And what we saw broadly, Guy, is that, look, uh, I think voters wanted a check on the party in power like you normally see in a midterm election. But they also wanted to check on the more extreme elements of the Republican Party. So you saw the this dynamic, as you've been discussing, that the mainstream, the governors, the mainstream candidates, the governors, the folks that – articulated a center-right governing agenda did quite well and were able to, 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 to almost win comfortably in many battleground states. But the candidates that had less experience, a little more exotic, a little more extreme, underperformed and may have cost Republicans the Senate. Then we have the House of Representatives. It was long-held conventional wisdom that the Republicans would gain the House of Representatives. And, of course, they have. They will be in the majority. But it took much longer than people were expecting to get finally to that official call because there were 
quite a lot of points left on the board, it would look like, for the Republicans. And they're going to end up in the ballpark because as of this conversation, there are recounts and long counts in California, et cetera, still going on. But ultimately, it will be roughly the same-ish size majority that the Democrats currently have, just flipping roles. So that, of course, matters in terms of the Republicans' ability to completely end a unified Democratic agenda. That's going to be over. Republicans will control committees. There'll be oversight. There'll be hearings. They will have more authority on that front. But it will be a pretty narrow majority, I think, with a more rambunctious caucus for the Republicans to try to control compared to what Pelosi had, because she was pretty good at keeping her people in line. What do you make of the House cycle, the types of candidates who won, those who didn't, underperformance, overperformance, et cetera? And then perhaps we can talk a little bit about where we go from here and what the next two years are going to look like. Yeah, so that, that was the biggest disappointment for Republicans and that they expected to win at least 20 seats. They thought they were going to make inroads in some of the bluer parts of the country where Biden's uh, approval had taken a real dip. And it turned out that the sort of the the, the protection that Democrats put in, in these battlegrounds held and the independent voters that swung uh, independent voters normally would vote against the party in power and the exit polling show they actually backed Democrats by a few points in the end. Uh, one, one, one interesting note on the exit polling data, the college educated white voters, which you know have been a, a big swing part of, 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 of the electorate in recent elections, we had thought that these voters would swing much more to the Republicans, that they, you know, a lot of concerns about the economy, crime, education. We saw that in Virginia, got in 2021, guy uh, Glenn Youngkin did quite well with this constituency, but uh, Democrats held their own with with this group. They uh, voted 53% for Democrats in, in the wave, the blue wave of 2018, and they still backed Democrats with 50% of the vote in this past election. So the sub the suburban wine mom vote uh, stuck with the Democratic Party. It's why you saw folks like Abigail Spanberger, Alyssa Slotkin, and Kim Schreier, among other Democrats in tough districts, prevail. Um, and, you know, and also it's interesting that like Republicans clearly gained on the House popular vote They're, they're We're still counting votes, but they are you know probably going to win by two or three points in, in the overall House vote, which means that like Republicans made inroads with, with Hispanic voters. They made inroads with black men. They made inroads with some uh, atypical constituencies. But a lot of those gains were made in sort of safe seats where the battlegrounds weren't being fought. So it's much – in other words, it's a lot more valuable to, to win over a swing suburban voter than maybe an urban uh, voter that was disenchanted with, with the Democratic Party. So there were a lot of wasted votes for, for Republicans, and Democrats held their own in many of these big, big battleground states. The one exception guy, though, is New York. Yeah. Uh, Republicans gained four seats in New York. Which well, was, Florida uh, which, too, right? Florida and New York both sent four new Republicans net. Uh, so you combine Florida and New York, that's eight gains for Republicans just in those two states. That right there is the majority. That's right. Florida, a big success story. The Florida was more of a redistricting success right. story because right. of the new line. New York was a, a, a fact that crime, we talked about this so much, and it didn't it didn't show in the whole map nationally. But in New York, Governor Hochul only won by five points in a deep blue state, and Republicans won almost every swing race, including some districts in Long Island, in the Hudson Valley, in some pretty deeply blue territory. So that 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 alone, that that four seats in New York alone, uh, makes up the majority for 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 the Republicans, and that's uh, that that that's one of the big silver linings for the Republicans on election night. Yeah, and they also won some seats in places where they typically don't. 
So there were pickups here or there, but there were missed opportunities as well. I would say that the Republicans not blowing the doors off or anything like that, not making big gains in a place like California, but absolutely holding their own out in California in the seats that they had to win and you know places where they had an opportunity maybe to gain just a little bit of ground. They seem to do that out in California, which, again, is this very interesting dichotomy of the election where in you know the Midwest and the Southeast, there were certain seats that were blown by the Republicans, you could argue. There's definitely one blown out in Washington State and that sort of thing. But they gained a seat in Oregon. They did relatively well, all things considered, in California. And then just briefly, Josh, Arizona, I think, is very interesting because the Republicans painfully lost a governor race, very close, lost the Senate race, less close. But I still think you'd have to make the case, and you kind of did already, that that was a winnable seat for the GOP under slightly different circumstances. The number one vote getter in the entire state who got the highest number of votes winning by roughly 11 points was the state treasurer, who's just sort of a fairly normal run-of-the-mill candidate, won by double digits easily. And of Arizona's nine congressional seats, House seats, three of them are Democratic seats, three of them are Republican seats, and then there are three sort of purplish swing seats, and the Republicans swept them to control six out of the nine seats in Arizona. You add up all the Republican House votes in that state, and that really overperformed the top of the ticket in Kerry Lake and Blake Masters. Arizona, I feel like, is a really interesting and important case study. Absolutely. You couldn't ask for a better case study in what went wrong and what went, what went right for the Republican Party in Arizona. Right. You know, you, you talked about those House races. These have these are like your your biggest swing districts in the entire country. And Republicans did quite well, uh, narrowly in all races. But Juan Siscomani is going to be, I think, a, a future star in the Republican Party uh, out of out of the Phoenix area. Uh, Dave Schweikert hung on uh, in, in Scottsdale. Uh, the, the, but but then you saw Kerry Lake narrowly lose and Blake Masters lose pretty badly. Uh, well, the, the big takeaway, let's go to the governor's race. Uh, it, the, again, it goes back to white college educated voters, which used to be a big part of the Republican Party coalition. But now they're moving much more towards the Democratic Party. These are the Liz Cheney voters guy. Uh, the, the white college. Well, and I would just voters. I would say they're they're moving more towards the Democrats, except in many cases that we talked about earlier in these successful Republican governors, right? Like right. those, I, I, those I meant in the Arizona guy, it should have been specific in the Arizona governor's race, the Arizona Senate race where the Republicans nominated uh, MAGA oriented candidates. In the case of Carrie Lake, she told John McCain voters to, to get the hell out, uh, to get the hell out of the party. Right. And the, the numbers speak for themselves. The Fox exit poll showed Hobbs who did not run a good campaign, didn't debate Carrie Lake was not a good candidate. Nonetheless, won 55% of that white college educated vote up four points, even in a blue wave of 2018 uh, going going back four years. So there is this clear evidence, Sky, that if you're going to run too far to the right, if you're going to run too far to the MAGA wing of the party, you're going to squander a whole lot of important votes that make the difference in these close races. Yeah, and I would say that there is on substance a difference between being very conservative and being very Trumpy or MAGA, those are not necessarily the same thing. We saw some of these independent swing suburban voters willing to pull the lever for very, very conservative candidates, members of the House, governors in particular, some senators, as long as they were not seen as too closely aligned with Trump and some of the fringe stuff, some of the, you know, 2020 stop the steal 
conspiracies, and I think that is one of the lessons here that Republicans need to think about. A few more themes to discuss with Josh Krasauer of Axios and a Fox News contributor right after this on the Guy Benson post-election special. The Guy Benson Thanksgiving Day special. What does it all mean? We'll be right back. Okay, dads, it's time to do the Cabbage Patch, the Running Man, or something more contemporary, the Floss. That's right. Dance like a dad with your kids. Learn more at fatherhood.gov. Sponsored by Ad Council. Welcome back to the Guy Benson Thanksgiving special. What does it all mean? Here is your host, Guy Benson. We are back. Happy Thanksgiving. Josh Krasauer is with us breaking down the 2022 midterms. All right, so we're going to talk coming up a little bit later in this hour, Josh, with Tom Bevan about the polling. We'll get into all of that here in a moment. But before we break and get to Tom, I just want to get your sort of nutshell analysis on what comes next in terms of the next couple of years. We don't want to jump face first into the presidential pool just yet. But in terms of Capitol Hill, the dynamics there, a Democratic Senate, very narrow, a Republican House, very narrow. Is this just sort of a stymied stalemate for the next two years, sort of knife fighting in a phone booth with neither party getting all that much done and the big ticket items needing to be bipartisan? I, I think you're going to see a lot of gridlock. I was uh sort of struck that right, right after Republicans officially got that House majority, you saw some of the committee chairs and incoming committee chairs talking about, you know, their subpoenas and oversight of Hunter Biden, which, you know, we got to remember that the, the, the issues that voters care about are the economy, inflation, crime, immigration. I, I'm not sure there's as much an appetite for endless investigations. So I think one thing, there's going to be gridlock, but I think Republicans have have an opportunity to show that they can at least try and govern, try to set an agenda that will set the party up effectively for 2024. I'm not sure. I know that voters may want oversight in, in some key areas, but endless investigations, endless subpoenas, sort of the dog and pony show that, that that drives Americans crazy. I'm not sure that that would brand the party in the type of direction they want to get going to rebound from 2022. So that's going to be an interesting pivot point for whoever is the new speaker. Kevin McCarthy certainly would seem to be the favorite, but uh, you know, they're going to really have to decide how they want to put their, their best face forward. There are a lot of actually 16 to 18 House Republicans that are representing Biden districts. So the next House majority uh, is really going to be dependent on how this this group can uh, brand itself, can market itself and can govern uh, to the to the to the needs of the American people. Yeah. And the Democratic Party, meanwhile, they've got a bunch of potential pitfalls ahead of them as well. They've got some problems with the American people clearly as well. So it'll be a fascinating few years to watch after a confounding and history bucking midterm election here in 2022. Josh Krasauer, senior politics reporter at Axios and a Fox News contributor, our guest here on this Guy Benson post-election special. What does it all mean? Josh, happy Thanksgiving and thanks again. Happy Thanksgiving. We'll, we'll see you after the holidays. We'll talk with Tom Bevan about polling. The Real Clear Politics Guru is up next. Stay here for more of the Guy Benson Thanksgiving Day Special. More next. News Talk 96.5 KPEL, broadcasting from the Matthew James Financial Studio. Find out more about how they can help you at matthew-james.com. Your 24-7 news source, on air, online, and with the KPEL News app. Now the headlines from the KPEL News Center. 
For KPL News, I'm Brandon Como. Anopolis' city councilman's job may be on the line because of where he lives. St. Landry Parish District Attorney Chad Pete filed a petition in Anopolis' court to remove Anopolis' city councilman Floyd Ford from office because Pete's petition alleges that Ford does not live in his district and that his actual address is different from the one listed in the Louisiana Secretary of State's elected officials database. That's according to our news partners at KETC. According to Pete's filing in court, the petition is based on a complaint from Delita Broussard, Ford's opponent in the December runoff for the District B seat. Ford won office in 2018 and is currently running for re-election. A hearing is set from November 30th at 9 a.m. to decide whether or not to remove Ford from office. Lafayette-based restaurant delivery service ASAP, formerly known as Waiter, says they will lay off 100 employees shortly after January 1st. ASAP cites a, quote, prolonged decrease in revenue, end quote, as the reason for the reduction in force. The company says they lost about $73 million in the third quarter. They blame competition in deliveries, inflation, and high fuel prices. And don't forget, Saturday is Small Business Saturday, a day to do some Christmas shopping at the local mom-and-pop stores. But for today, for everyone here at News Talk 96.5 KPL, we want to wish you and your family a happy Thanksgiving. Welcome back to the Guy Benson Thanksgiving Special. What does it all mean? Here is your host, Guy Benson. It is the Guy Benson Show Thanksgiving Day Special. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Guy Benson. And with us now is Tom Bevan, co-founder and president of RealClearPolitics.com, at TomBevanRCP on Twitter, if you want to follow him there. Tom, happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for being here. Same to you, Guy. All right, so you and I spoke on the show many, many times in the lead up to the midterm elections about polling, the accuracy of polling, and boy, that conversation gets only more interesting and more murky and more complicated after the midterms, doesn't it? It does. I mean, we had, look, this was a very unique election. I think the more we the more we dig in the data and the more it settles out, the more, you know, we are surprised by you know, how this thing turned out. I mean, Democrats really did defy history and uh, some really bad fundamentals to perform stronger than uh, I think a lot of folks, including myself, thought they would. Um, A couple of things. The national vote, which, you know, Republicans did fairly well. I mean, they will see where the final number, it usually takes quite some time for that to get settled, but it should be somewhere in the three to four point range for Republicans, which is pretty darn close to where our our average was uh, for the generic congressional ballot, finished at, I think, two and a half. So, And then at the state level, you had in, these, in some of these Senate races, you know, the polling in some states was fairly accurate in places like uh, Ohio, for example, North Carolina, um, Wisconsin was eh, a little bit under uh, underestimated Dem support there. But then you had places like, you know, New Hampshire, where Maggie Hassan one convincingly none of the polls really saw that coming um and in florida it was the opposite where you had uh, you know marco rubio was up about nine points in our average um most polls had him anywhere from eight to 12 and he won by 16 so his his support and DeSantis's support was understated there and then and then you had these you know close competitive elections uh you know, i think fetterman performed better than than Almost anybody saw any, any any pollster saw happening there. Even some of the the mainstream polls didn't have him winning by the amount he won by. 
most of the polls had the, the race in Georgia going to a runoff, which is where it ended. Um, so it's a it's sort of a mixed bag. And, and we'll see when we dig in the numbers. You know, I, I think by and large, just a quick glance through some of these through some of these states and the results. I think Trafalgar, uh, Robert Cahaley, whose group had been one of the most accurate pollsters over the last three cycles, had a rough night. They were projecting, uh, you know, a, a Republican wave, a surge. Um, and some other pollsters like, you know, Marist and, and some of those folks um, did, I think, reasonably well. So so we'll see when we get our, our final pollster rankings out um, exactly where things shake out. But it was it was a mixed bag, I think. Tom, I saw a comment from Stan Greenberg, who's a prominent Democratic pollster, and he said that at least according to his data, there was a huge, huge number, like a giant chunk of the vote, much larger than usual, that decided within the last day or two of the cycle. And I think a lot of people were expecting, understandably, based on trends and patterns and history and all of it, and the fundamentals that you mentioned, they expected a lot of those people to decisively break for the opposition party. That didn't happen. You look at pure independence. They very narrowly went for the Democrats, basically a split, which is great news for the Democrats, concerning news for the Republicans. But those late deciders and the fact that there were so many of them, and I guess there was this gut check where a bunch of them said, I'm not really sure I can vote for the Republicans, certainly Certain types of Republicans suffered, whereas other types of Republicans did extremely well or overperformed. That effect, that final last-minute decision group, especially if it's a big group, and especially if it cuts against the conventional wisdom, that throws a huge monkey wrench sometimes into the polling and the expectations, doesn't it? It does, and you know I haven't looked at that data specifically, but I remember looking in Pennsylvania, for example, and there were very few undecideds. You know, four percent. Uh, in some of the polls there and in some of these other races. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I'd have to I'd have to dig more into that uh, to see if that's actually true. But what is true? And I think you you pointed it out. I mean, this to me is the most interesting piece of this election is that independence went for the Democrats by by two points, 51, 49. That is a huge break from recent history and his, I mean, general history, but but especially recent history. When you think about recent midterms in 2018, Democrats, uh, independents sided with the Democrats by 12 points. In 14, they sided with the Republicans by 12 points. In 2010, which was a 63-seat shellacking for Obama, uh, independents sided with the Republicans by 15 points. And in 2006, which was a bad, bad year for Republicans, independents sided with Democrats by 18 points. So, um, you know, I'm digging into exactly why did independents not – do what they traditionally have done in midterms. And again, you look at the data, uh, they had a very sour opinion of Joe Biden. I mean, uh, his approval rating, his favorability rating, inflation was their number one concern. Uh, I've gone back and looked through all the pre-election polls, um, and it wasn't close between uh, inflation and the economy and abortion. When you look at the exit polls, it was a lot closer. For some reason, uh, independents really were, I think, susceptible and and uh, bought into, I think, the Democrats' arguments, their closing messages that, you know, uh, about abortion, about threats to democracy and the like. I, I think Democrats did a very good job of making this less a referendum on the president and the Democratic Party and more about a choice uh, between the two parties. Did candidate quality have something to do with it? Yes. 
I think that's evident in some of the uh, in, in some of these races, but not all these races. I mean, it doesn't explain all of these races. And so um, it's 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 fascinating. And it, I agree with you. I think it's something for Republicans to be very concerned about why in this kind of environment with these kind of fundamentals, which were by all accounts, I mean, any measure you want to look at should have yielded big Republican victories across the board. They simply didn't happen. In a lot of these races, they didn't happen because independents decided they were going to vote for uh, the in party. They were going to vote for the status quo, which, again, is a huge break from history. Yeah. And the thing that's also a little bit puzzling is if you just could isolate certain points, like if you could get a crystal ball a few days before the election and the crystal ball would convey that the electorate nationally for the House will be R plus three or four, probably, as you said, when the final numbers finally shake out and are formalized because it takes days and weeks, especially because of California, etc. But if it's going to be in the R plus three or four range, as is likely, I think almost all of us would look at that one data point in isolation and say, "Okay, the polls were generally correct. This is a very good night for Republicans. They are going to have a red wave with that number. And of course, we didn't see the red wave. I think similarly, if you had just showed me Ron DeSantis's number, right, his margin in Florida, I would say, oh, my gosh, this could be a tsunami type event across the country. If you told me that Republicans were going to win and net four House seats in New York, potentially, I would have said, OK, that's a tsunami across the country. If you told me that Governor Stitt in Oklahoma, who is really struggling very close in a lot of the polling, he ended up winning handily out there. I'd say, OK. That was fool's gold for the Democrats. This is going to be a great night for the Republicans. There are a number of zoom-in data points that absolutely would have indicated a big, big red wave. On the other hand, if you, two or three days before the election, showed me Patty Murray's margin of victory in Washington or Michael Bennett's margin of victory in Colorado or the results of the House races those two big ones in Pennsylvania or in Virginia, two out of three sticking with the Democrats, I would have said, okay, hold your horses. This could be a very different type of night. It's just unusual to see different signposts pointing in very opposite directions and resulting in, I would say, one of the more confusing overall outcomes of an election that I've ever covered. I agree 100 percent. I mean, it's it is it is the most bizarre election uh that i've ever covered and and for a lot of the reasons you mentioned i mean again think about this so so you know the the movement in florida and in new york uh but yet there's no movement in georgia there's no movement in arizona there's no movement in nevada they go backwards in pennsylvania uh republicans do i mean that's just that is not typical i mean this is a very anomalous i think a historical although there election. was movement right there was movement in georgia for brian kemp who went from a narrow win four years ago to a comfortable win and then of course we're on the senate side waiting for a runoff in early december but you know that might maybe the kemp example does point to the candidate quality issue that you're talking about both in his favor and actually cutting against stacy abrams correct and and that was one of the questions uh that was most interesting to me was, you know, how, how much ticket splitting, how much drop off would we have from the top of the ticket uh, in some of these races? 
there was indications that we might have some of that in in Ohio and we we might have some of that. I mean, you had a you had a ticket split in Wisconsin where the Republican governor candidate who who was seemed to be in a very close race with Tony Evers ended up losing. But Ron Johnson won. Uh, you mentioned Georgia's another one. Arizona's another one uh, where mm-hmm. it was very there gaps. You know, close. Yeah. So um, so that that's that's again, that merits, uh, I think, further investigation as to, again, some of its candidate quality, uh, but that doesn't explain all of it. And, and there are other reasons. Again, I think uh, in the exit polls, I think abortion was I mean, we knew it was going to motivate Democrats and we knew from the data that Republicans were fired up to turn out. And I think both of those things are true, um, but it did seem to be a more potent message with independence than than any of the pre-election polls suggested. Although, and on the other hand, some of the Republican governors who had signed significant abortion restriction legislation yeah. won, won handily and won independence. So, like, there's so many point counterpoint elements of this election. It's yeah. fascinating. Tom, to pull it back to the polling and now moving forward, right? We've got the next two years where it's going to be this extremely tightly divided, polarized slog to another presidential election. And trust me, there are all sorts of interesting dynamics for 2024 (laughs) without getting into the personalities and the candidates or any of that for 2024. From a polling perspective, now what? Because I know now, for myself at least, I will go into the next election cycle extremely suspicious of the numbers and my instincts because the numbers and the instincts seem to be aligning towards something that made sense this year. And instead, we got this grab bag, this very messy picture instead, where I'm going to be really skeptical and cautious and second guessing of everything. I wonder, is that sort of the sense that we're going to have to lurch together kind of into this sort of this like blind spot that we haven't experienced before collectively in in this way maybe yeah i mean i i agree with that i mean i do think um again we'll do a detailed analysis of of the individual pollsters and how they performed and who who was accurate who was inaccurate um but i think generally speaking in some ways you look at this election and and all of the traditional historical indicators and metrics were pointing in one direction and that's not what we got so so in that sense they're broke well i should say are they broke the question is are they broken are the fundamentals is the, is the argument about fundamentals is that no longer valid moving forward or was this just such a unique election in and of itself it was just an anomaly an ahistorical and the fundamentals will reassert themselves in in right. the next cycle I don't know the answer to that question. I really don't. And I suppose it's going to depend on who the nominees are. Uh, but I agree with you. I mean, this election really uh, was was uh, shocking in a lot of ways because of all of the different, um, as you said, different directions that, that the data, you know, was pointing in heading in and, and is pointing to heading out. So I think I think we all have to sort of uh, take a good hard look at what happened and, and be very cautious and skeptical in the next election as well. Yeah, even if it turns out that 2022 was a black swan event in terms of the fundamentals and the polling and the data and the late breakers and all of it, I think 
the residue of the black swan event will be with us for a number of cycles because it's like just when you thought you maybe had stuff figured out the voters threw a big curveball and it wasn't like a curveball in the sense that okay we zigged they zagged we were completely wrong about everything it's like we were wrong about many things but in opposite ways in opposite directions where some republicans did way better than we thought they would and other democrats and just broadly the democrats did better than we thought they would as well resulting in this very messy cloudy confusing picture that i know you and i and others will be puzzling over for weeks to come and then approaching 2024 tentatively at least from an analysis perspective for the reasons that we have just laid out with our guest tom bevan co-founder president of realclearpolitics.com all sorts of data there if you want to comb through all of it and, and try to wrap your head around it you can go to realclearpolitics.com tom really appreciate your time and your insights here have a great thanksgiving and we'll talk again very soon all right thanks guy it is the guy benson show thanksgiving special stay tuned the guy benson thanksgiving day special what does it all mean we'll be right back Can you help a child in need during the holiday season? Rose's Angels, here at News Talk 96.5 KPL. We are teaming up once again with Robin McMillan of McMillan's Pub to gather gifts for kids in Acadiana who otherwise wouldn't be getting a gift this year. Robin helps to get presents for kids in lots of different groups throughout Acadiana. Boys and Girls Clubs of Acadiana, Casa, Arch, Smile. Other requests come in. Hundreds of children need help. Robin, through Rose's Angels, is asking for help, and we would be humbled by what you could do. If you'd like to adopt a child, all you have to do is call Robin's number, 337-781-7069. That's 337-781-7069. That's 337-781-7069 to become one of Rose's Angels. It's an easy process. Thank you so much from all of us at News Talk 96.5 APL purpose. I'm Kim Commando with a few Thanksgiving Day thoughts. T-Mobile, their advanced network goes farther than ever before. Visit tmobile.com slash 55 today. After the Thanksgiving feast, millions will gather for nonstop football. For non-football fans, it's the beginning of the most confusing and uncertain Christmas shopping season ever. A pending railroad strike could wreak havoc on Christmas, our economy, and your day-to-day -day life. That, most haven't figured out how much to spend or what to buy. And all these forecasts show a weak shopping season. Retailers cut prices early, fast, and hard. So compare carefully. And then there's this journal. Last Christmas, customer service satisfaction at Amazon was at a record low. This year, it's even lower. Nearly a quarter of Amazon's customers are dissatisfied with their experience. Long items, late deliveries, or products were not as described. Again, shop early and allow extra time. Try my new daily tech podcast. It's available everywhere. It's called Kim Commando Today. Prices on just about everything are rising. But thanks to CarShield, I don't have to worry about how much it's going to cost to fix my car when it's down. Their price will never go up, and they help handle everything. That's why I love CarShield offers protection plans for around 100 bucks a month that cover more than ever before. When you need a repair, there's no paperwork or headache. CarShield even take care of you when your car breaks down on the side of a road. Every protection plan includes coast-to-coast -coast roadside assistance, courtesy towing, and rental car options at no extra cost. 
So as long as you cover your car, no matter how old it is, you're protected from the rising cost of parts and repairs. Get coverage like I did. Go to carshield.com or call 800-91-8888 to save 10% on your plan. That's carshield.com or call 891-8888 to save 10%. That's shield.com slash Get politically incorrect with me, Todd Stearns, every Saturday night from 9 to midnight on News Talk 96.5 KPEL. Welcome back to the Guy Benson Thanksgiving special. What does it all mean? Here is your host, Guy Benson. It's the home stretch of this Guy Benson post-election special. What does it all mean as we look back at the elections that we just had here in this country? I'm Guy Benson, host of the Guy Benson Show on Fox News Radio, Fox News contributor, and also political editor at townhall.com. Thank you so much for listening to our guests today, Tom Bevan in the last segment before that, Josh Krasauer, as we were really getting into the granular details, into the weeds a little bit on what the big takeaways were from the midterm elections 2020. Since it is Thanksgiving, I thought perhaps we should end on a note of gratitude, which is no matter how you feel about the outcomes of the election, and there was a little bit for everyone. Democrats have certain things to be happy about. Republicans have certain things to be happy about. Some things transcend politics. We'll all move on to fight another day and political disagreements. There'll be another election in two years. There will be a lot of gridlock and battling over the ensuing two years because we're going to have divided government. But we do live in the greatest country in the history of the world with incredible prosperity and freedom and opportunity. And I think it's worthwhile to take some time to reflect on that and to be thankful for it, which is the whole purpose of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is not a holiday that is for any particular race or religion or tribe in the United States of America. It is a holiday for all Americans, celebrated across the board, with friends, with family, with food, with football, with all sorts of things that have nothing to do with politics. So maybe set all that aside, at least at the dinner table this evening and for the weekend, and go enjoy the foliage, go enjoy other things that are so special about life, and particularly life in the United States of America, where so many of us are blessed to live. And then we'll come back next week and get right back to it, arguing about the issues of the day, the Republicans stopping the Biden agenda in the House, and so on and so forth. But we're in the holiday season now, and there's a lot to be thankful for, and we should never lose sight of that. I am thankful to our guests, Josh Krasauer and Tom Bevan of Axios and Real Clear Politics, respectively, and I am thankful to all of you for tuning in. Happy Thanksgiving. We'll talk to you on The Guy Benson Show. You've been listening to The Guy Benson Thanksgiving Day Special. What does it all mean? A Fox News Radio Special. Available now from Fox News Podcasts. The Fox Business Report is brought to you by Gulf Coast Bank, your local community bank. Whether your financial needs are for an individual, a business, or for the whole family, Gulf Coast Bank has the knowledge and products to serve you best. With nine convenient locations throughout Acadiana, you're never far from a friendly Gulf Coast Bank associate. 
I'm Charles Payne, and this is the Fox Business Report. The holidays can be a romantic time of year, but Adam Levin, founder of Cybersout, says if one starts a relationship with you online, make sure you don't become a victim of a romance scam or catfishing scam, or your online partner really just wants your money. And that's when somebody in a very, very short period of time tries to gain your trust and affection and comes on very, very strong. Levin says, beware of the red flags. They've always got a crisis. If you, they're saying it's like listening to a grade B movie and they try to move in quickly. They try to get you to believe what they're saying and then they'll ask for some kind of help. Levin says you can open yourself up to being bribed or extorted. That's your Fox Business Report. I'm Ginny Cosola, invested in you. Did you know that you can save up to half on your wireless plan when you switch to Consumer Cellular? They offer unlimited talk and text with a flexible data plan starting at just $20 a month with the same premium coverage as the nation's largest carriers. Plus, their award-winning customer support makes switching a breeze. Go to ConsumerCellular.com Radio 25 and for a limited time, $25 off when you use promo code RADIO25. This is Moon Graffon. I've always believed there's two types of fishermen. There are people like me that love to fish. And there are people like Don Dubuque who can catch fish. And that's why you need to listen to the Outdoor Show with Don Dubuque Saturdays from 5 to 7 a.m. Here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Brought to you by Louisiana's number one Chevy dealer seven years in a row. Service Chevrolet Cadillac. Find new roads. News Talk 96.5 KPEL, Brobridge, Lafayette, a town square media station. Broadcasting from the Matthew James Financial Studio. A new legal issue for Donald Trump. I'm Dave Anthony, Fox News. It's actually an update to an old one. A woman who already accused him of rape filed a brand new lawsuit against the former president earlier this morning. Writer E. Jean Carroll, a longtime Elle magazine columnist, has already sued former President Trump for defamation. But the new claims say he committed battery when he raped her in a Manhattan department store dressing room in the mid-90s. She had previously been barred by state law from suing over the alleged rape because too many years had passed since the incident. Well, that all changed today when a new New York law took effect lifting those deadlines. When Trump was president, he denied Carol's claim, saying she's not my type. He has called the story, quote, a hoax and a lie. Fox's Tanya J. Powers, another Trump-backed candidate, has lost an election. Republican Sarah Palin in Alaska, defeated by Congresswoman Mary Peltola. While that is a win for Democrats, they've already lost the House majority in the next Congress. Republicans have 220 seats with two races still undecided. There was a vigil last night in Chesapeake, Virginia, in the parking lot of a Walmart where six people were murdered, six more injured the night before. It's not our city. Not for this to happen. Not our city. The gunman was a Walmart manager who opened fire in the break room without saying anything. Why is still a big question. He killed himself before police arrived. More Americans are driving somewhere for Thanksgiving right now. Others are flying on the holiday. For the average plane ticket, $350. That's up 43% from a year ago. A hotel night will cost you $189, 13% more than last year. Fox's Garrett Tenney. Thousands are lining the streets of New York City for the big Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade on a sunny morning. Executive producer Will Koss tells Fox. We've got 16 giant character balloons you can, in addition to 15 others. We've got uh, 28 floats. We've got 12 of the finest marching bands from around the country. We've got 10 performance groups. Of course... 
Santa is at the end. America's listening to Fox News. If you have certain chronic conditions, such as heart disease, asthma, diabetes, and you're 19 years of age or older, 52, 36, 42, you may be at increased risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar 20, pneumococcal 20-valent conjugate vaccine, a Pfizer vaccine that can help protect against pneumococcal pneumonia in just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. The most commonly reported side effect was pain at the injection site. For additional common side effects and full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. I'm going to ask my doctor about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20. Today marks nine months since Russia first invaded Ukraine, where there are a lot of power outages now after the latest Russian missile barrage that also left at least 10 people dead and cut off water service for many Ukrainians. And while the U.N. keeps investigating Russia for alleged war crimes, Iran is under scrutiny as well by the U.N. Human Rights Council. High Commissioner Volker Turk says more than 14,000 people have been arrested, over 300 killed, including 40 children. This is a staggering number. Mr. Turk appealing to Iran to stop their use of force against protesters calling for more freedom and less stringent religious rule. Women and girls must be able to feel free and secure in public without fear of violence or harassment. Protests started in September after a woman died in custody of morality police. 50 countries want a fact-finding investigation set up, but Iran's calling the debate disgraceful and appalling. Jonathan Savage, Fox News. Soccer's World Cup continues. Switzerland beat Cameroon 1-0 in today's first match. A college football rivalry that turned into a brawl has seven players now facing charges. Prosecutors in Ann Arbor, Michigan, announcing charges against seven Michigan State football players stemming from an assault after the Spartans lost to rival Michigan on October 29th. violent attack captured on video in the tunnel of Ann Arbor Stadium. The charges include six misdemeanors and one count of felony assault against Michigan State cornerback Kari Crump. All seven charged have already been suspended by the university for their actions. One player who was also suspended, Malcolm Jones, was not charged. Matt Napolitano, Fox News. This is a big NFL day. Three Thanksgiving games. The first one's always in Detroit. The Lions host the Buffalo Bills. Then, like always, Dallas plays next. The Cowboys take on the New York Giants tonight. It's New England versus Minnesota. I'm Dave Anthony. This is Fox News. Your 24-7 news source. On air, online, and with the Cape Hill News app. Now the headlines from the Cape Hill News Center. For Cape Hill News, I'm Brandon Como. An Opelousa City Councilman's job may be on the line because of where he lives. St. Landry Parish District Attorney Chad Pete filed a petition in an Opelousa's court to remove Opelousa City Councilman Floyd Ford from office because Pete's petition alleges that Ford does not live in his district and that his actual address is different from the one listed in the Louisiana Secretary of State's elected officials database. That's according to our news partners at KETC. According to Pete's filing in court, the petition is based on a complaint from Delita Broussard, Ford's opponent in the December runoff for the District B seat. Ford won office in 2018 and is currently running for re-election. A hearing is set from November 30th at 9 a.m. to decide whether or not to remove Ford from office. 
Lafayette-based restaurant delivery service ASAP, formerly known as Waiter, says they will lay off 100 employees shortly after January 1st. ASAP cites a, quote, prolonged decrease in revenue, end quote, as the reason for the reduction in force. The company says they lost about $73 million in the third quarter. They blame competition in deliveries, inflation, and high fuel prices. And don't forget, Saturday is Small Business Saturday, a day to do some Christmas shopping at the local mom-and-pop stores. But for today, for everyone here at News Talk 96.5 KPL, we want to wish you and your family a happy Thanksgiving. Our salute to America brought to you by Jim Olivier's Home Improvement and Roofing, Louisiana. Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light? What's so proudly we had at the twilight's last gleaming? Whose broad stripes and This is a Fox News audio special from Fox Nation. American Dynasty, the Fords, exploring the most iconic family empires in American history. In 1918, Henry Ford calls the press for a shocking announcement. Today is a monumental day, gentlemen. I'm sure you're all wondering why we're gathered here, so let's just get to it. I'm stepping down from the company. That's right, I'm resigning. Henry Ford, American folk hero, creator of the beloved Model T, is leaving the company he built from nothing. He places his son Edsel in charge of the Ford Motor Company while he plans to compete against it. My next venture will be a new car even more affordable than the Model T. Henry clearly has a plan, but he's keeping it to himself. He knows that in the end, he will get what he wants. And what Henry Ford wants above all is control. Henry grew up on a farm near Dearborn, Michigan. Although he grew up on a farm, he hated farming. He hated the drudgery of it. His father had him doing farm things all the time. But farm life was not for him. Ever since he was a young boy, Henry has been fascinated with machines. 
from a very young age, he was interested in mechanical things. He had a little workbench in the Ford home where he had tiny little tools and he became kind of a tinkerer with watches. He fixed the watches of his neighbors and the clocks of his family. Henry Ford sets out to follow his mechanical dreams in Detroit. Over the next 15 years, the ambitious young man works his way up to chief engineer in the Edison Illuminating Plant. But now, he finds himself at a crossroads. Deciding whether to play it safe and keep working at his job, or to take a risk and follow his true passion. It's a very good job, very good pay. Uh, he had risen up through the ranks very nicely. But he was kind of restless, and his heart really wasn't in it. His heart was really in messing around with something that he had come across, and that was the internal combustion engine. Henry Ford decides to follow his dream and quits the Edison Company to focus on his newest obsession. In the late 1800s, a second industrial revolution is underway. This was the age of tremendous industrial expansion. Technological inventions are really uh, changing life, I think, for ordinary Americans. And the technology that captures Henry Ford's attention is the automobile. Most of the companies around that time were trying to sell big, expensive cars to rich people. But Henry Ford never thought that that was the market to go after. His strategy was to build and mass-produce cars that ordinary people could drive. Henry wants to improve the lives of everyday people with cars, the way Thomas Edison did with electrical light. While Henry works day and night, his biggest supporter is his wife of 10 years, Clara, who is raising their son, Edsel, and carefully managing their money. She took care of all the finances of the home, and she put away money out of his paycheck for his automobile endeavors. And there were times when they didn't pay the rent so that he had money to build his automobiles. Henry knows that to build the car of his dreams, he'll need money and investors. This will change how we live our lives forever. Henry gets the funding he needs with the help of 11 investors, including two auto parts makers, the Dodge brothers. Henry raises $28,000, the equivalent of $900,000 today. And in 1903, he creates his own company, the Ford Motor Company. Now with the money secure and his company set up, Henry Ford has one goal, to create an affordable car for the everyman. He starts building prototypes in the hopes of bringing an affordable car to the masses. The very first prototype was the Model A, the first Model A. It was quickly succeeded by the Model B, and there were several more following the alphabet on up. Ford works for five years to perfect the design, 
All of this is a trade-off between speed and traction. Henry Ford wanted to build a people's car, and to build it as cheaply as possible, he had to do away with a lot of expensive things on a car. And in 1908, Ford has his perfect car, the Model T. Well, the Model T was the vehicle that really, I think, brought in, into one place all of the things that Ford was looking for uh, in an automobile. Ford has finally built a car that is ready for the mass market. He knows if he could show people what the car can do, they would buy it. So he launches an advertising campaign. They would film the automobile, the Model T, sort of going through roads, even going through some fields, uh, some rough terrain and the like, to emphasize what a sturdy uh, vehicle it was and uh, what a good buy for the money and the like. Could this be the car that changes everything? I present to you the Model T Ford for all Americans. And any customer can have the car painted any color he wants, as long as it's black. With a price tag of $850, it's a huge hit with the public from the moment it's introduced. And the reason it was a hit was because it was lightweight, strong, simple design, and there was a dealer in every city in the country. You could get it repaired in your hometown. I know it's the only antique car I have that always starts literally on the button. You know, all the other cars, whereas a Model T always fires right up. Part of Ford's genius that we should not underestimate is he connected the automobile to this new ethos in American culture. The car was a vehicle for new experiences. You could visit places. You could go on vacations. More of American Dynasty, The Fords. A Fox News audio special from Fox Nation, coming up. The Still Holiday Gift Guide has outdoor power tools and more for everybody on your list. Visit your local steel dealer and go online to stihlusa.com slash gift guide. Now, back to a Fox News audio special from Fox Nation, American Dynasty, The Fords. But Ford has a problem. He can't keep up with demand. Faced with this supply and demand problem, Henry Ford finds inspiration in an unlikely place. Automobiles up until Henry Ford had been built piece by piece. They were built the same way that the carriages had been built. The story is that he went to one of the meat packers in Chicago and sold them, you know, you start off with a cow, and you end up with sides of beef and everything, and it all goes according to this line. And he said, well, if we can take a cow apart on this sort of a deal, we can put an automobile together. I mean, that was just a brilliant insight. For Ford, 
It's a breakthrough moment. Henry realizes that if he lines his workers up along a conveyor belt, he can break down the manufacturing process into a series of individual steps. The workers will piece together an automobile as it rolls past them, the assembly line method of production. In the old system, it took 12 hours to put a car together. With the assembly line up and running, they built a car in two hours. And eventually, they had a car coming off the end of the assembly line every 30 seconds. And soon, Ford's factory is responsible for more than half of all the cars produced in the United States. The Model T was so successful that Henry Ford had 60% of the market. Ford is now famously wealthy, but he doesn't flaunt that wealth. He was a very uh, sort of common guy himself, had common tastes, ate meals like everybody else, had the same sort of values and beliefs and uh, habits as everyone else. But there's a serious problem with Henry's assembly line. Ford's workers keep quitting. If you're working on a Ford assembly line, it's monotonous work, it's difficult work. The turnover rates he had were just extraordinary. And he recognized that he could not make kind of product he wanted to make if he did not find a way to solve the labor problem. In 1913, Henry's only child, Edsel, starts working at the firm. When Edsel graduated from high school, his father said to him, uh, why do you want to go to college when you can learn a lot more here? Henry wants to start grooming his son to one day take over the company. But Edsel is very different from his father. Edsel was artistically inclined, and his father was mechanically inclined. And Henry was uh, authoritative, and Essel was democratic. It was just two different personalities. Right now, the average factory worker is working nine hours a day, making 234 a day. And that's costing us about $4.6 million in annual revenue. Annual profit, $26 million. If we increase their wage to $5 a day and cut their hours down to eight hours a day, we can still pull in $22 million. Henry realizes he can double his workers' wages, still make a healthy profit, and try to entice people to come and work for him. What this meant was the assembly line production, which was the heart of Ford Motor Company, would be staffed by people who would be reliable and first-class workers and regular workers because if they were absent, they get fired and somebody else gets the $5 a day. Henry's plan works better than he ever could have imagined. The next morning, 10,000 workers show up to apply for jobs. It's a completely different conception 
of the relationship between work and remuneration. No longer are you even pretending that the work is supposed to be emotionally rewarding or that something you take satisfaction in. Henry's plan is a huge success. He is now rich beyond his dreams, and with success comes change. By the time Etzel turned 21 years old, the Ford family was extremely wealthy. Henry Ford had made millions of dollars off the Model T. In 1916, Edsel marries into the Detroit elite. Edsel's wife, Eleanor Clay, came from a wealthy family. Her uncle was Joseph Hudson, who owned a large department store in Detroit. They were both used to wealth. They liked art. It was the complete opposite of what the Fords were raised with. Henry Ford grew up dirt poor, self-taught. Once he became wealthy, he had a son who did not need to pull himself up by his bootstraps. He had everything handed to him, whatever you might say. This is not an indictment of Edsel, it was just, he was a rich kid. And Henry Ford sort of resented this because his son was the people he disliked. Henry is not happy with how his son lives his life. Henry begins to resent his only son for not being a carbon copy of himself. He started to treat him poorly, but Henry was just trying to do that to toughen him up because Henry Ford was ruthless. Henry dreams of even more success, more production, more profit. And so in 1917, Henry starts building his biggest factory yet, River Rouge. He's purchased all this land to build one of the biggest factories in the world, uh, the River Rouge plant. But there's a problem. Two of Henry's investors, the Dodge brothers, don't want him to build a new factory. They are making good money in dividends, money they are using to fund their own car company and don't want to decrease their income in order to pay for a new Ford factory. So they sue Ford. In a humiliating public defeat, Henry loses the case and is forced to pay millions of dollars in dividends to the Dodge brothers. So Ford comes up with a plan. Today is a monumental day, gentlemen. I'm sure you're all wondering why we're gathered here, so let's just get to it. I'm stepping down from the company. That's right, I'm resigning. He names his son Edsel president, and Henry Ford will compete against his own company. For the record, and make sure you write this down, my next venture will be a new car even more affordable than the Model T. But it's all a ruse. Henry knows that the announcement of his resignation will send the 11 investors into a panic and drive down the price of their Ford stock. Once the price drops, he wants Edsel to buy out the minority stockholders. You understand what we're doing, right? 
at a bargain rate. That would allow Ford to hold all the power. Yes. Okay. And be rid of minority stockholders once and for all. He wanted to control the Ford Motor Company completely and totally. And his plan works. Over the next six months, the Fords buy up stock from the original investors. When all the dust clears, Henry Ford has 100% control of the Ford Motor Company, which is exactly what he wants. As the Roaring Twenties begin, America is changing, and Edsel and his wife Eleanor are changing with the times. Edsel and Eleanor embrace the new styles of music and fashion. And Edsel can see that his father is falling out of fashion. By this time, the Model T was almost a couple of generations old, so it was seen as kind of, oh, your parents' car. Very dependable, ran all the time. But why would you drive that? It just looks kind of, it, people wanted style, they wanted flair. The Ford Motor Company was losing its market share in a pretty severe way. It was lagging behind both General Motors, Chevrolet, and uh, Chrysler. You're listening to a Fox News audio special from Fox Nation, American Dynasty, the Fords. More coming up. Questions about youth or high school sports? Positive Coaching Alliance can help. PCA, a national nonprofit organization, develops better athletes and better people through youth and high school sports. Info at positivecoach.org. News Talk 96.5 KPEL, broadcasting from the Matthew James Financial Studio. Find out more about how they can help you at matthew-james.com. Your 24-7 news source, on air, online, and with the KPEL News app. Now the headlines from the KPEL News Center. For KPEL News, I'm Brandon Como. An Opelousa City Councilman's job may be on the line because of where he lives. St. Landry Parish District Attorney Chad Pete filed a petition in an Opelousa's court to remove Opelousa City Councilman Floyd Ford from office because Pete's petition alleges that Ford does not live in his district and that his actual address is different from the one listed in the Louisiana Secretary of State's elected officials database. That's according to our news partners at KETC. According to Pete's filing in court, the petition is based on a complaint from Delita Broussard, Ford's opponent in the December runoff for the District B seat. Ford won office in 2018 and is currently running for re-election. A hearing is set from November 30th at 9 a.m. to decide whether or not to remove Ford from office. Lafayette-based restaurant delivery service ASAP, formerly known as Waiter, says they will lay off 100 employees shortly after January 1st. ASAP cites a, quote, prolonged decrease in revenue, end quote, as the reason for the reduction in force. The company says they lost about $73 million in the third quarter. They blame competition and deliveries, inflation, and high fuel prices. And don't forget, Saturday is Small Business Saturday, a day to do some Christmas shopping at the local mom-and-pop stores. But for today, for everyone here at News Talk 96.5 KPL, we want to wish you and your family a happy Thanksgiving. Back to a Fox News audio special from Fox Nation, American Dynasty, The Fords. At the time, General Motors offers a variety of models and colors. But Henry Ford will only make one car in one color. 
and this is causing a divide at Ford Motors. Edsel knows that if he can design a new car, he can get the Ford Motor Company back on top and prove himself to his father. So Edsel decides to take action. He built a prototype of a car that he thought would be something more in tune of what the market was now turning to. Edsel hopes his father will be pleased. Henry went to the factory, saw this car, and became incensed about it, because he knew exactly what it was. He destroyed it, because he didn't want anything to uh, replace the Model T. Times have changed. We need a new Model Ford. The Model T is a perfect car. So why is GM about to surpass us? You're an ungrateful brat. Instead of looking to the future, Henry holds on to the past. The great irony in all of this, of course, is that Henry Ford had actually created the foundation for that consumer culture of abundance that he now found so uh, disturbing uh, in a lot of ways. Eleanor Ford is deeply concerned about her father-in-law's cruel treatment of Edsel. Ultimately, Edsel understands that in order to save the Ford Motor Company, he must confront his father himself. Nobody knows what Edsel said in that meeting. There was no yelling that anybody can remember, no shouting. But whatever Edsel said to his father convinced him once and for all to change cars. Edsel finally convinces Henry, in order for the Ford dynasty to survive, the company must replace the Model T. That was Edsel Ford's greatest victory. Edsel leads the development of the next Ford car, the Model A. In contrast to his father, Edsel is highly collaborative, a team player. He also has a gift for design. He was welcomed at all the design studios because he was a real designer. He had a real eye. He was an artist. Henry and Edsel collaborate on the new car. This was the first time the two worked together to build a new car. And it came out beautifully. Henry Ford has changed American industry again. And by 1928, Ford regains the number one spot in the auto industry. But in October of 1929, everything changes. The stock market crashes and the Great Depression begins. In the 1930s, the Ford Motor Company is uh, having very, very significant labor problems. It's in the heart of the Depression. Uh, labor conditions are very tough, economic conditions are very tough. Sales of new cars drop by 75% and unemployment hits 40%. Ford Motors is forced to lay off one-third of its workers. And for Henry, there is even worse news. In 1935, a new law gives workers the right to organize and form unions. Henry Ford can't stand unions. He wasn't about to give up control to anybody, not even his workers. 
He would rather have the company go out of business. Soon, Henry, who was once a hero to the working man by creating the $5 a day wage, becomes the enemy of labor. Henry is determined to prevent his workers from unionizing, so he puts one of his most loyal men in charge of labor relations, a man named Harry Bennett. Harry Bennett was a small man. He was only about five foot six, but he was a tough, small man. He was a boxer in the Navy, and he was not afraid of anybody. Harry Bennett has been working as head of Ford's security department for years, but now Henry Ford is giving him even more power. Ford decides to make this young man, Harry Bennett, his eyes and ears at the River Rouge Company. So he appoints him to a position there and says, you keep me apprised of what you hear the workers are doing. There is even speculation that Henry Ford is looking at Harry Bennett to take over Ford Motors one day instead of his own son, Edsel. Henry Ford and Harry Bennett became very close. It came to a point where Harry Bennett became a surrogate son to Henry. But with Harry Bennett in charge of River Rouge, things are about to turn violent. On May 26, 1937, union organizers come across a bridge to River Rouge to distribute pro-union literature, and Harry Bennett intervenes. Harry Bennett got wind of this, and as they came over this overpass bridge, Bennett's thugs were waiting for them. To put it crudely, they just beat the hell out of them. They pulled their coats over their heads, and they kicked and beat them bloody. The gory scene becomes known as the Battle of the Overpass. It's a public relations nightmare for Ford Motors. But as war breaks out in Europe, it may present an opportunity for the Ford Motor Company. As 1940 draws to a close, Adolf Hitler's forces are storming through Europe. But America has not yet entered the war. On December 29th, 1940. We will extend to the opponents of force the material resources of this nation. President Roosevelt calls on American industry to help our allies. With Henry stepping back in his old age, and Edsel increasingly running the company, the U.S. government asks Edsel if Ford can build parts for a new bomber that will be key to the war effort. Edsel is about to make the boldest move of his life. He tells the government that Ford won't produce the parts for the new bomber unless they are given a contract to build entire planes. And he told them that he would only build airplanes entirely, not components, and they would do it on an assembly line. He saw that as his opportunity to show the world that a Ford could still do the impossible. While his father built millions of Model Ts, Essel could build thousands of bombers. In order to pull this off, Ford builds their most ambitious factory yet. Willow Run. They transform empty farmland east of Ann Arbor, Michigan into a mile-long factory. Ford also builds an airport alongside. 
By the time the U.S. enters the war after Pearl Harbor in December 1941, Willow Run is up and running. Edsel involves his son, Henry II, with the Willow Run operation. This is something to be proud of. Edsel is looking to his eldest son, 23-year-old Henry Ford II, as the future of Ford Motors. He knows he can no longer rely on his own father. 79-year-old Henry Ford is not the man he once was. Henry Ford, by this time, was a very old man. He had had a couple of strokes. There had been a kind of senility that had crept in uh, to his personality, and he just wasn't himself. He didn't think clearly. He didn't understand things. And Edsel has problems of his own. Edsel Ford is seriously ill. It was first discovered that he had ulcers, uh, bad ulcers, not a surprise given the, you know, two decades of tension with his father. But what was discovered a few months later was that he had actually stomach cancer. As Edsel's condition worsens, he continues to work. Desperate to see Ford successfully manufacture airplanes for the war effort. To see and hear more great specials like this, go to foxnation.com. More of American Dynasty, The Fords, coming up. How can you help a child in need during the holiday season? Rose's Angels, here at News Talk 96.5 KPL. We are teaming up once again with Robin McMillan of McMillan's Pub to gather gifts for kids in Acadiana who otherwise wouldn't be getting a gift this year. Robin helps to get presents for kids in lots of different groups throughout Acadiana. Boys and Girls Clubs of Acadiana, Casa, Arch, Smile. Other requests come in. Hundreds of children need help. Robin, through Rose's Angels, is asking for help, and we would be humbled by what you could do. If you'd like to adopt a child, all you have to do is call Robin's number, 337-781-7069. That's 337-781-7069. That's 337-781-7069 to become one of Rose's Angels. It's an easy process. Thank you so much from all of us at News Talk 96.5 APEL. to a Fox News audio special from Fox Nation, American Dynasty, The Fords. And then, in May 1943, Edsel Ford dies. He was only 49. This was just a devastating blow. Clara Ford was just bereft uh, at, at the news of his death. Henry Ford is also shaken by the loss of his son. He walked around in a daze, apparently for months, and he would say, you know, was I too hard on Edsel? Was I too mean to Edsel? It's sort of a very sad postscript of this old man uh, whose only son, in a way, he sort of drove to an early death. 
and Edsel Ford's legacy endures as Willow Run succeeds. By the time uh, Willow Run was humming along in 1943 and 1944, it was turning out uh, basically two dozen B-24 bombers a day uh, at that facility, uh, which was truly an astonishing amount. All told, it will produce 70% of the B-24 bombers used in the Allied war effort. The Ford company played a central role, I think, in the war effort by that alone. But as the war ends, Henry Ford is losing touch with reality. His once razor-sharp mind declines. He was still physically fine, but his mental capacity had weakened significantly. There is no way, and I mean no way, that Harry Bennett will take over. The Ford family fears that instead of naming Edsel's son heir to Ford Motors, Henry is planning to make Harry Bennett president of the company. With the death of Edsel Ford, Harry Bennett saw that as an opportunity for him to possibly take over control of the company. He had convinced Henry to add a codicil to his will, making Harry Bennett the chairman of Ford Motor Company. This is the most insulting move you have ever made against your son and our family. What makes you think you have any say? She demands that her and Edsel's son, Henry Ford II, must be named as president of the Ford Motor Corporation. You cannot turn your back on your grandson. The answer is no. Leave me alone. If you do not sign off on Henry II becoming president, we will sell our shares and you will lose control of the company. If Eleanor Ford sold her stock on the open market, that would have been the first time since 1919 that people other than the Ford family would own Ford Motor Company. And that was just too much for Henry to bear. Finally, Henry gives in, and Edsel's son, Henry II, is named president of the Ford Motor Corporation. Even though Henry Ford II was only 27 years old, when he took over the presidency of the company, he did an admirable job. He wanted to show the world that a Ford could still run the company. And when Henry II comes into power, one of his first moves is to fire Harry Bennett. Two years later, on April 7th, 1947, Henry Ford dies, aged 83. 100,000 people line up to pass his open casket and pay their respects. Henry Ford didn't invent the automobile, but, 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 what he did was invent mass production at low cost and good quality, and that changed America. Regarding automobiles, I mean, he's just pure genius. Under Henry Ford II's direction in 1956, the company goes public. Two years later, 
a new model is released, the Edsel. But the car is not a success. At the time it was introduced, it was not a bad car, but the trouble with it was, you walked into a dealership, gee, for a couple of hundred dollars more, I could have that Lincoln over there. Oh, for a few dollars less, I could have the Mercury over here. I know the, what's an Edsel? It's unfortunate that Edsel Ford's name will forever be associated with the Edsel car, which was a disaster. Ford. It's a whole new thing. It's what's happening. But Henry Ford II goes on to introduce highly successful models, like the Thunderbird and the Mustang. The 1969 Mustang. It goes all the way out to a high-performance Mach 1. Oh, I remember as a kid when a friend of mine's father got a Mustang. He was like the coolest dad. Oh my God, everybody else had four doors and, you know, that kind of station wagons. And, uh, you know, Mark's dad had a Mustang. Oh man, you know, it was like the coolest thing ever. By the time Henry II dies in 1987, Ford Motor Company is among the biggest and most technologically advanced motor companies in the world. And director of the Ford Foundation is welcomed at New Delhi in India. Edsel Ford's legacy is secured by one of his creations, the Ford Foundation. Today, Henry Ford's great-grandson, William Clay Ford Jr., is executive chairman of the Ford Motor Company. He is the largest shareholder. I mean, I think the automobile industry is in a much better place now. Ford is really strong. They've broken into two companies, Ford and Ford E, to build electric vehicles. I'm extremely proud of American engineering. Henry Ford was a very difficult man. He created many troublesome legacies with regard to his anti-Semitism and his terrible treatment of his son and the lack of, of clear succession within Ford Motor Company. But all of that said, he changed the way people travel, he changed the way people live. He created what we associate most specifically with a modern life, the ability to move around quickly and privately uh, in these things we call automobiles. In the end, Henry's deepest dream holds true. His dynasty endures, and his family retains control of the company he once created from scratch. You've been listening to American Dynasty, The Fords. To see and hear more specials like this, go to foxnation.com. This has been a production of Fox News Audio. the Fox Business Report. The holidays are the most critical time of the year for retail, with November December accounting for up to a quarter of annual sales of department stores and specialty retailers. In recent years, many retailers have dealt with pandemic closures and supply chain challenges, but the fall of hot inflation could be the biggest of all this season. Foot traffic in stores has yet to rebound pre-pandemic levels. In September, it was down nearly 9% in department stores and 8% in specialty apparel from last year, according to Placer, which tracks foot traffic. 
Bank. And online sales growth in November and December is expected to be weak compared with the past two holiday seasons, according to Adobe Analytics. A disappointing holiday season could lead many retailers to reconsider their business, resulting in restructurings and layoffs in 2023. That's your Fox Business Report. I'm Hillary Barsky, invested in you. Did you know that you can save up to half on your wireless plan when you switch to Consumer Cellular? They offer unlimited talk and text with a flexible data plan starting at just $20 a month with the same premium coverage as the nation's largest carriers. Plus, their award-winning customer support makes switching a breeze. Go to ConsumerCellular.com Radio 25. And for a limited time, get $25 off when you use promo code Radio 25. KPL covers Acadiana with Lowry's printing and copying. Jingle Jams will take place on Saturday, December 3rd, 2022 at 10.30 a.m. at Landon Petrie Memorial Park in Kington, Louisiana. There'll be a gumbo cook-off, games for the kids to play, local vendors for Christmas shopping, teddy bear mobile, live auction, pictures with Santa, and live music. 100% of these proceeds go directly to Acadiana families bearing hardships. For more information, you can search Jingle Jams on Facebook. On Friday, December 9th, 2022, from 5 to 7 p.m. in Bendel Gardens, Emile's fourth annual holiday hot cocoa fundraiser is happening. This is a completely free event with live music, hot cocoa, and food trucks. The suggested donation is $5, or you can purchase a custom mug for $20. All proceeds from this event are going to the Junior League of Lafayette. If you or your organization has an event that you would like to get on the KPL community calendar, email it to news at kpel965.com. That's news at kpel P-E-L 965.com. News Talk 96.5 KPEL, Brobridge, Lafayette, a town square media station. Broadcasting from the Matthew James Financial Studio. Here comes Santa Claus. I'm Dave Anthony, Fox News, making his first big appearance of the season on Thanksgiving, as always, at the end of the Macy's Parade in New York City, now underway. Fox's Tanya J. Powers is out there. On the two-and-a-half-mile route, I ask parade-goers what they're excited to see. Yeah, the balloons are my favorite part, but I don't know that I have a favorite balloon. I just like all of them. The balloons. Is there one in particular? Uh, I don't know. Snoopy. The SpongeBob balloon, obviously. Yeah, obviously. Team SpongeBob. It's a bucket list event for folks coming from as far away as Florida, North Carolina, and Canada. That we've always wanted to do this. <laughs> so we came, exactly. we're excited to see the parade, but also um, the Rockettes. And she summed up the feeling here today. Wherever you are, you just feel that, that positive energy and it's great. Democrats have won another House race, though they've already lost the majority in the next Congress, with two races undecided still. Congresswoman Mary Peltola has been elected to a full term in the House months after a special election to the seat. Peltola defeating former vice presidential hopeful Sarah Palin and two other candidates in the ranked choice election. That's Fox's Matt Napolitano. That was in Alaska, that election. Palin was endorsed by former President Trump. Another Trump-backed candidate in that state, Kelly Shibaka, lost her bid to unseat fellow Republican Senator Lisa Murkowski. The former president facing another lawsuit, an upgrade to a previous one. Author Eugene Carroll already filed, accusing him of defamation when, as president, Trump denied her rape allegation that dates back to the 1990s as a law and hoax, adding she's not his type. Carol today sued again over the alleged sexual assault itself after a new New York law took effect lifting deadlines and when suits can be filed in decades-old cases. In Chesapeake, Virginia, a vigil in the parking lot of a Walmart where six people were killed the night before. It's just senseless. I don't understand why people can't just 
Talk your problems out. If you have an issue, talk it out. America's listening to Fox News. I'm getting vaccinated with Prevnar 20. So am I, because I'm at risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. I'm asking about Prevnar 20 because there's a chance pneumococcal pneumonia could put me in the hospital. Age 65 or older, you may be at increased risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar 20, pneumococcal 20-valent conjugate vaccine, a Pfizer vaccine that can help protect against pneumococcal pneumonia in just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. The most commonly reported side effect was pain at the injection site. For additional common side effects and full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. I want to be able to keep my plans. So I'm asking my doctor about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20. The accused gunman who shot up a Colorado Springs nightclub showed up on a TV screen in court for the first time, banged up after he was beat up by club goers who stopped his deadly rampage. 22-year-old Anderson Aldrich appeared in court via video in a wheelchair and appeared to have facial injuries. The judge asked Aldrich to state their name. The judge said Aldrich would be held without bond and it wasn't immediately clear when the next court hearing would be held. Ahead of the appearance, attorneys for Aldrich notified the court that the defendant is non-binary and goes by they, them pronouns. Aldrich is accused of killing five people at Club Q in Colorado Springs Saturday night and injuring several others before patrons tackled them. Military veteran Richard Fierro said in an interview after the shooting, he took the gun from Aldrich and hit the suspect with it. Jessica Rosenthal, Fox News. More Americans are traveling right now for Thanksgiving. For those who are flying, it's a lot pricier this year. Airfares up 43%. But uh, we just kind of plan accordingly and save miles, save money to make sure we can make this trip. The Thanksgiving feasting comes the day before all the shopping. Black Friday is tomorrow, exactly one month before Christmas. The National Retail Federation predicts 166 million Americans will shop between today and Cyber Monday. It's also a time online fraudsters go shopping. For victims. Google's got a warning. Beware possible holiday scams. Those would-be Grinches trying to steal online accounts information and money. Here are some of the ways these scammers try to get you. Pretend to be someone you know and have you buy a gift card for them or say they're from a charity and want you to send money directly to them. They can try and scam you through a fake reward email or a phony subscription renewal. The search engine says they have a team of Googlers trying to thwart these bad actors and to keep an eye out for emails with Typos, email addresses that seem off, or demands for payment. That's Shana Estelin. I'm Dave Anthony, and this is Fox News. Your 24-7 news source, on air, online, and with the Cape Hill News app. Now the headlines from the Cape Hill News Center. For Cape Hill News, I'm Brandon Como. Annapolis City Councilman's job may be on the line because of where he lives. St. Landry Parish District Attorney Chad Pete filed a petition in Annapolis' court to remove Opelousa City Councilman Floyd Ford from office because Pete's petition alleges that Ford does not live in his district and that his actual address is different from the one listed in the Louisiana Secretary of State's elected officials database. That's according to our news partners at KETC. According to Pete's filing in court, the petition is based on a complaint from Delita Broussard, Ford's opponent in the December runoff for the District B seat. Ford won office in 2018 and is currently running for re-election. A hearing is set from November 30th at 9 a.m. to decide whether or not to remove Ford from office. 
Lafayette-based restaurant delivery service ASAP, formerly known as Waiter, says they will lay off 100 employees shortly after January 1st. ASAP cites a, quote, prolonged decrease in revenue, end quote, as the reason for the reduction in force. The company says they lost about $73 million in the third quarter. They blame competition and deliveries, inflation, and high fuel prices. And don't forget, Saturday is Small Business Saturday, a day to do some Christmas shopping at the local mom-and-pop stores. But for today, for everyone here at News Talk 96.5 KPL, we want to wish you and your family a happy Thanksgiving. How can you help a child in need during the holiday season? Rose's Angels here at News Talk 96.5 KPL. We are teaming up once again with Robin McMillan of McMillan's Pub to gather gifts for kids in Acadiana who otherwise wouldn't be getting a gift this year. Robin helps to get presents for kids in lots of different groups throughout Acadiana. Boys and Girls Clubs of Acadiana, Casa, Arch, Smile. Other requests come in. Hundreds of children need help. Robin, through Rose's Angels, is asking for help, and we would be humbled by what you could do. If you'd like to adopt a child, all you have to do is call Robin's number. 337-781-7069. That's 337-781-7069. That's 337-781-7069 to become one of Rose's Angels. It's an easy process. Thank you so much from all of us at News Talk 96.5 KPL. Listen to your favorite KPL shows on demand now. Subscribe to Acadiana's Morning News Podcast and listen to every hour of the show anytime, anywhere. Find more at kpl965.com. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. I am Abby Hornacek, and in the spirit of giving, I thought I would share with you a Getting Schooled Thanksgiving tradition special. Now, throughout this next hour, we'll explore the history of the first Thanksgiving. We'll go behind the scenes of the annual Thanksgiving Day Parade, throw around the pigskin a little bit, and step into the kitchen to learn some tasty recipes that will steal the show at any holiday dinner table. Without further ado, we'll start at the very beginning with the author of They Knew They Were Pilgrims, Plymouth Colony, and the Contest for American Liberty, John G. Turner. John, how's it going? Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Thank you. You know, I appreciate you taking the time. This is uh, a topic that I feel like people, you know, really wonder about sometimes. We celebrate these holidays, but we don't always know the origins of what we're talking about. So this is good. Um, I'm very excited. So we have this Thanksgiving Day here in the States where the origins, I'm not asking you necessarily to go through the origins of the Thanksgivings in other places, but did they look at the United States and get an idea of, oh, wow, we should be doing a day of thanks as well? Or were they, did they just come up with that idea on their own? Yeah, no, I think that was just an inherited Christian tradition in a lot of places. So you can actually find days of Thanksgiving uh, by Europeans in North America before the pilgrims. So when... Uh, there were some uh, both Catholic and Protestant settlers that showed up to in Florida in the mid 1500s, and they had they had days of Thanksgiving. So it's just something that um, Christians tended to do on sort of special for a special occasion after a particular blessing. Like if you'd had a successful voyage, uh, you might have a day of Thanksgiving. Also, the other thing that Europeans did is they would sometimes have an annual day of Thanksgiving linked to a 
um, sort of recent political um, success or development. So the Spanish Armada, after it's destroyed in, I think, 1588, the English celebrate that with an annual day of Thanksgiving for a while, but they, did, they didn't do it in perpetuity. They, you know, that, that particular one sort of faded out and mm-hmm. the Dutch had similar traditions. Um, just- so I, don't, I don't think it's that uh, the American Thanksgiving inspired um, other peoples to have similar days. They sort of all had their own right. traditions that developed. Well, I love that. It's kind of an idea of we're going to give thanks for, you know, this event or something that happened. And then for us, it became that annual day. Um, You know, I just from all the research that you've done on this topic, what do you think the modern day Thanksgiving is all about? So, you know, I think the modern day Thanksgiving, it is really different in that, you know, we've got this day. We've got to be thankful on the calendar uh, whether things are going great for us or not, <laughs> which is sort of an interesting idea. There is this, you know, biblical tradition also of give thanks in all circumstances. Yes. So, you know, I think I could kind of go with that. And it's always nice to take a day and try to be thankful whether or not like things have been going great in your life or not. You know, it is a little bit different if you look at what the pilgrims and other settlers did. You know, they would they would have these days after something particularly special happened. And that's sort of a nice tradition as well. Um, And that's something that collectively uh, Americans don't don't do anymore. And I'm certainly not suggesting we should replace our wonderful Thanksgiving holiday (laughs) with, with that. But, you know, maybe sometime we should try that out if the nation has had some particular blessing or success. Let's have let's have an extra day. Yes, I agree with you, John. The more things that is given, I think is the best way to go because it's true. We I think sometimes we take things for granted. Good things happen. And, you know, you get weighed down by the bad things that happen and you forget that there are good things happening. So if there was a day of thanks every time something like that happened, that would be wonderful. Also, I never thought about it that way. It's kind of like a gratitude journal where when things are going bad in your day, they always say, you know what, sit down and just write the 10 things that you're grateful for in the morning or five things that you're grateful for. So regardless of what's going on at that time, we do have this annual day of thanks. You can kind of step back and be like, you know what? I'm going to give thanks for even for things that maybe even aren't going well for me kind of thing. So that's, that's great, John. I really like that. Um, Let me just tell you two two more things. And, you know, um, the flip side of that is the early settlers, if things weren't going well, you're going to Debbie Downer me right now, John. What's that? Are you going to be a Debbie Downer on me right now? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just kidding. When, just when kidding. things when things weren't going well or they had some disaster, they would have a day of fasting and repentance. Mm. I don't think a lot of Americans <laughs> want to bring that back. And the other thing I'd say is that not a lot of people would want to eat like the pilgrims on Thanksgiving. So they didn't have they didn't have cranberry uh, sauce or cranberries. They didn't have pumpkin pie. <laughs> uh, they may or may not have had turkey. And most people think they probably had a lot of eel because oh, those were gosh. very abundant um, in New England at the time. So I'd like to keep eating what <laughs> my family currently eats and not start eating like the pilgrims. Amen to that. So what did, yeah, what else did they eat? They, so eel, what kind of crops would have been around during that time? Yeah, so they, they did grow maize or corn. They grew peas. They grew 
might've grown some wheat, barley, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. They could have foraged for berries and all sorts of things in the summer. Um, and then I think it just in terms of the feast, you know, it was probably pretty protein heavy. So, you know, a lot of fowl, waterfowl, ducks, geese, maybe turkeys. There were certainly were abundant fish. Uh, they might've had fish as well. And then the, the natives shot five deer. So they definitely had venison. You know, that's, that's probably the thing we most know for sure was venison and some sort of fowl. So why do we eat turkey then? If they might not have even had turkey. Yeah. You know, that's a great question. I don't know <laughs> if I entirely know the answer. I mean, Governor Bradford in his journal, he does mention that there were abundant wild turkeys and some of the programs, this always cracks me up. They they really exaggerate how big these turkeys were, like, you know, just enormous. And like the ones you can <laughs> buy today for Thanksgiving, I guess maybe they had some big ones back then as well. Um, but, you know, there were some Americans in the early republic that really liked the turkey. I think Benjamin Franklin recommended the turkey as the national bird or symbol of the mm -hmm. country. Um, now I kind of think the bald eagle probably works better, yeah. but I know, don't want to be eating bald eagle on Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that. I don't know if that's, that's why we ended up eating Turkey or not, uh, um, or just, you could raise, if you're going to have a big feast, you know, you can't, you can raise really big turkeys. Maybe it's as simple as that. Maybe, maybe. Well, I know that I will not be eating eel on Thanksgiving. I would prefer that turkey. <laughs> uh, so just to kind of wrap things up, John, I always like to ask at the end, I love to put the guests on the spot and ask, what do you think is the most important thing that people should know? I mean, if they were going to only listen to one part of this podcast, what's the most important thing either about the history of Thanksgiving or the early settlers? I think this is true of so many topics in history. Maybe not everyone, but definitely this one kind of resist the urge to turn the people into the story into just saints or sinners. And, you know, I think people have done that with uh, stories of Thanksgiving and this early Plymouth colony a lot. And sometimes some people have made the pilgrims to be the saints. Sometimes people have made the Wampanoags to be the saints and, and vice versa. And, you know, these are real human beings involved with a lot of complexity, a lot of insecurities, uncertainty. And it's best to, to take them as the complex people that they were. I think you shed a lot of light on everything and I really appreciate you coming on. So happy Thanksgiving and hope to have you on again soon. Thanks so much, John. Happy Thanksgiving. KPL covers Acadiana with Lowry's printing and copying. Jingle Jams will take place on Saturday, December 3rd, 2022 at 10.30 a.m. at Landon Petrie Memorial Park in Kington, Louisiana. There'll be a gumbo cook-off, games for the kids to play, local vendors for Christmas shopping, teddy bear mobile, live auction, pictures with Santa, and live music. 100% of these proceeds go directly to Acadiana families bearing hardships. For more information, you can search Jingle Jams on Facebook.
On Friday, December 9th, 2022, from 5 to 7 p.m. in Bendel Gardens, Emile's fourth annual holiday hot cocoa fundraiser is happening. This is a completely free event with live music, hot cocoa, and food trucks. The suggested donation is $5, or you can purchase a custom mug for $20. All proceeds from this event are going to the Junior League of Lafayette. If you or your organization has an event that you would like to get on the KPL community calendar, email it to news at kpel965.com. That's news at kpel965.com. Okay, dads, it's time to do the Cabbage Patch, the Running Man, or something more contemporary, the Floss. That's right. Dance like a dad with your kids. Learn more at fatherhood.gov. Sponsored by Ad Council. People from around the world come to New York City to get a glimpse of the classic balloons and floats that take over the city skies on Thanksgiving. So who better to explain that than the producer of the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, Jordan Dabby. All right, Jordan, you have a very important job. You've got to talk to me about what leads up to the Thanksgiving Day Parade, because I mean, I live in New York City and there are street closures. You have all of these big balloons and these these big things coming through the streets. How does that all go down ahead of Thanksgiving? Well, it is it is over a year long process. We have a dedicated group of people that produce the parade every year, um, but it starts a year out. And uh, on the marketing side, we're looking at potential partners, people we work with a year out. Um, we get the pleasure of selecting the best in family entertainment to showcase their properties, whether it be on a float on the ground or whether it be a balloon in the sky. Um, but that lead time can be anywhere from from 12 months to 14 months to to line up those entertainment properties and bring them to life on parade day. Um, but obviously the work uh, goes on throughout the year. We have an incredible Macy's Parade studio that fabricates everything that you see in the Thanksgiving Day Parade. We have welders, electricians, carpenters, sculptors, scenic painters, and they're working right up until the middle of November to put the final touches on everything that, that the country gets to see. Um, and of course, um, the last few weeks of the parade is the rush. It is something that is a well-oiled machine, I can <laughs> tell you. We have it all dialed in. Um, but right up until Thanksgiving Day, we have a dedicated group of people that make sure that the parade is put on safely, wonderfully, uh, and for the entire country. How do you decide what goes into the parade? Who gets to be in it? Well, one of the most wonderful things about the parade is that it was started over 90 years ago by our Macy's employees. Many of them were immigrants that came from other parts of the world and found themselves in New York and missed many of their hometown traditions. So to this day, that is one of the most wonderful things about being a Macy's employee. They are the backbone of the parade. They are our volunteers. There's the one, they are the ones that bring it to life in the parade every day uh, or every year, excuse me. So um, that is how you become a member uh, of the parade. You are, it starts with our friends and family at the Macy's uh, under the Macy's family. I love that. And to be a well-oiled machine, you've got to have a backbone and it sounds like they really are your backbone. So that's that's really great to hear. What about um, the actual items that you see in the parade, the balloons and the, uh, you know, the the performers? Is there a formal process that happens throughout the year where you say, hey, we absolutely have to have this this year or this is going to change or this is going to stay the same? How does that work? 
Yeah, the parade is a mixture of a variety of things. One, when you talk about our balloons, I, I, the litmus to be a balloon is that you must be an instantly recognizable children's character. They are the signature part of our parade. It's what everyone looks forward to seeing every year. Um, and when we look at what is the best and brightest in family entertainment, um, that's what we want to feature in the sky. We are blessed. We work with Nickelodeon, work with Disney. We work with many different organizations that that represent the best brands and characters in the world. Um, but that's where it all starts. We have a multi-generational audience, and we know that um, your average 10-year-old is watching the parade along with their parents. And oftentimes they're watching with their grandparents. So we want to make sure that whatever we put on TV appeals cross-generationally. Um, and I think in terms of celebrities, that that is one of those things that changes every year. Uh, it is our it is our desire to feature the best um, the best celebrities uh, and the most famous celebrities to feature within the parade every year. They are what um, you see on every float every year. There's a performance on virtually every float. Um, and every year you're going to see a different group of celebrities that that perform on those floats. Do you guys have any uh, floats or balloons that have been in the parade every year for 90 years? <laughs> that's a um, long time. That's a, that's a long that life a for a balloon. But you never um, know. Yes, I would say to the best of my knowledge, Abby, no. Uh, the, the parade started in 1924. Um, so there has not been a singular element that I can think of mm. that has been part of the parade every year. That said, our oldest float is uh, our turkey float. Um, it's about, I think it debuted a little over 50 years ago, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. Um, and of course, you know, our biggest float is Santa's sleigh. That is something that's become a staple over the years. And it's the way that we officially kick off the holidays. You know, um, it's the holiday season once you see Santa uh, within the Macy's Thanksgiving. Day <laughs> yes. And I am one of those believers that Christmas season starts on Thanksgiving. Where do all these floats and balloons go during the non-holiday seasons? <laughs> do you have a warehouse somewhere or is it yeah, the studio? We it, it is that Macy's Parade Studio. Okay. It's on the other side of the river. It is where we house everything. It is where we do touch-ups every year. It's where everything gets created. Um, so it, it is it is just on the other side of the river in New Jersey. I see. Can people see that during the year or is it something that's off limits? Um, Unfortunately not. It is it is closed. It's an undisclosed location. It's kind of where the magic happens. So it, it's kind of like your Christmas ornament. Um, we want our floats and balloons to be special. You will not see them for the most part outside of Thanksgiving Day, um, just like your Christmas tree. If your Christmas tree was up all year round, it wouldn't have that same special factor. So so we do keep that closed to the public. That makes sense. You guys run a tight CIA operation over there. Uh, um, how has the parade changed over the years just from that? That one that first day 90 years ago or you know 1924 to what we're going to see this year yeah i think we're always pushing the boundaries of newness uh it is something that that is is at the fabric of what we do it's the backbone of what we do if you look at some of our new balloons this year for example one of our fun new balloons is die of a wimpy kid and as much as greg hefley has had two previous iterations this year if you're familiar with the die of a wimpy kid book series there is the famous cheese and you don't ever want to touch the cheese and the cheese touch so this year um, greg hefley is pointing at what we call a balloonicle and what that balloonicle is it is a self-driven um inflatable on the ground and this year we will have a an effect 
um, a smoke effect, a fog effect, so that it looks as though the cheese is actually stinky. Um, oh, so that's awesome. It doesn't really, you know, verbally, it doesn't sound as, as nice as when you see <laughs> that on parade day. So pardon me for not giving the best description, but that's something that we would have never have done 15, 20 years ago. And I think another great example is this year we have Stuart Dominion from the Despicable Me franchise. Mm -hmm. He is known for, for bananas. And this year he is holding, um, what looks to be uh, a banana in the sky. And it is um, an animated person in a banana costume. Obviously it's not a real person, but the legs are animating as if he's running. So again, those are things that that are just pushing the envelope of technology. Um, and that's something that we do every single year after the parade. We look at what we can do to improve upon it year in and year out. Well, that's what I was, that you hit exactly on my point I was going to make. Just the technology capabilities from the 20s to the 2000s. I mean, I could imagine how many uh, more things you can have because of those capabilities. It's truly incredible. Um, how many floats and balloons do you have in total? And how, can you talk to me about the route for people who are maybe unfamiliar with how it all works? Sure, absolutely. The parade starts on the upper west side of Manhattan uh, in the area of 77th Street and Central Park West. It will travel all the way down Central Park West, make a left at Columbus Circle onto Central Park South. Um, it will travel an avenue or so or two, and then it'll make a right on 6th Avenue, and it'll go straight down 6th Avenue until it makes a right on 34th Street, where we'll enter um, 34th Street right in front of Macy's Herald Square's beautiful facade, and that is the backdrop to our telecast. So it is a two-and-a-half-mile parade route filled with um, 16 giant character balloons, about 28 floats, 40 other um, inflatables of various sizes, 700 clowns march the parade every year, 12 marching bands. Um, in total, there are about 8,000 participants that will wow. walk the parade route this year. So it is it is large and it is impressive and it is something that is a total spectacle to watch. Every balloon has approximately 90 balloon handlers. Um, 90? Nine zero? Nine zero. There are about 90 people that hold a balloon line and guide the balloon down the parade route. Um, and, and that really equates when you talk about all the balloons in the parade, there's about, um, I'd say nearly 2000 balloon handlers in the parade this year that will guide all of our inflatables down the line of March. Jordan, I really appreciate you taking the time. Good luck on Thanksgiving, and I hope you are able to enjoy it as well. Thanks for taking the time. I appreciate you having me on, Abby. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. News Talk 96.5 KPEL, broadcasting from the Matthew James Financial Studio. Find out more about how they can help you at matthew-james.com. Your 24-7 news source, on air, online, and with the KPEL News app. Now the headlines from the KPEL News Center. For KPEL News, I'm Brandon Como. An Opelousa City Councilman's job may be on the line because of where he lives. St. Landry Parish District Attorney Chad Pete filed a petition in an Opelousa's court to remove Opelousa City Councilman Floyd Ford from office because Pete's petition alleges that Ford does not live in his district and that his actual address is different from the one listed in the Louisiana Secretary of State's elected officials database. That's according to our news partners at KETC. According to Pete's filing in court, the petition is based on a complaint from Delita Broussard, Ford's opponent in the December runoff for the District B seat. Ford won office in 2018 and is currently running for re-election. A hearing is set for November 30th at 9 a.m. to decide whether or not to remove Ford from office.
Lafayette-based restaurant delivery service ASAP, formerly known as Waiter, says they will lay off 100 employees shortly after January 1st. ASAP cites a, quote, prolonged decrease in revenue, end quote, as the reason for the reduction in force. The company says they lost about $73 million in the third quarter. They blame competition in deliveries, inflation, and high fuel prices. And don't forget Saturday, a small business Saturday, a day to do some Christmas shopping at the local mom-and-pop stores. But for today, for everyone here at News Talk 96.5 KPL, we want to wish you and your family a happy Thanksgiving. Drought, war, and rising food prices have devastated families in poverty. $50 provides a food kit to feed a family for a month. Just text the word radio to 97646. Time to check in on those big Thanksgiving Day football games with the host of Big Bets on the Vegas Sports Information Network, Dave Ross. Dave, you are the guy to talk to about <laughs> football and Thanksgiving, and you're going to have to tone down the Cowboys situation because oh, I know you're impossible. a huge fan. It, Abby, it's impossible to get me to come on, talk about football, mm-hmm, family, and, mm-hmm. and, and Thanksgiving, and not bring up the Cowboys. I mean, well, this it, is a podcast for everyone, you know? Well, okay. But it is a part of our Americana, right? I mean, like, my family, Abby, has put up with me for, well, a long time now. Yes. And when the Cowboys are playing on Thanksgiving Day, no disrespect to the Lions, everything revolves around that Cowboy game in the afternoon. So we normally eat the big turkey dinner with the whole family. It could be 20, 30 people. They know it has to be done before kickoff. Yes. Because I'm glued to that Cowboy game. Okay, I was going to ask you because I'm looking at the schedule now. So Buffalo Bills at Detroit Lions, 12.30 p.m. Eastern. Giants, right. Cowboys, 4.30. Oh. Patriots, Vikings, 8.20. So you do. I was going to ask you if you eat before the Cowboys game or after. And this is all mom. I, I give all props to mom. She knows I'm just built differently and that I would not be there mentally at the dinner table if I knew yes. the game was going on and couldn't watch it. So as the years have gone on, I mean, this goes back to when I was a kid that we would have conflicts where I was like, I got I would eat my food as fast as possible to get away from the dinner table <laughs> to go watch the game. So through the years, Abby, they've moved up the viewing. So I have to sacrifice the Lions game. I cannot fight. You got to fight battles. Yes. I won't fight that one. I give up the Lions game, eat with the family, enjoy the, the, the time with the family. And then it's all about football. Once the Cowboys <laughs> come on. Talk about Dallas and Detroit. Why do they always play on Thanksgiving? You know, it's a tradition for the Lions that goes back to the uh, boy. It goes way back to like in the 1930s, I believe. 1934 was the first year that the Lions actually had and hosted a game in Detroit. But they they just haven't been good for for such a long time that it feels like you almost forget that the Lions that it really started with them, at least in the NFL. The Cowboys began this tradition. Uh, back in the 60s, and it really took hold. You know, the whole moniker of America's team, Mm -hmm. Abby? I think part of that does come from this Thanksgiving tradition from the 60s and the 70s when Roger Staubach and Tom Landry were on the sidelines. And it really is just carried over. And yes, the Lions are the oldest NFL team to host it in 34, but the Cowboys have really become the predominant one. And you mentioned that third game that the NFL Network has added because they realize it is when family and friends 
are getting together. And after that turkey meal is done, what are they going to do? They're going to watch another football game. So the NFL is smart by adding that third game. We'll see. This has become a new tradition now. It used to just be the Lions and the Cowboys. And now we've added a third game here. But it's not like it's the same city every year. The Lions, it's always in Detroit since 34. Cowboys, it's always in Dallas since 66. And now we're starting this third game tradition. So while while I was while you were talking, I kind of just Googled this. The NFL's 2021 Thanksgiving Day games attracted an average of 29.7 million viewers wow. and highlighted by the Dallas Cowboys loss. Ooh, sorry, Dave, <laughs> to the Vegas Raiders. Um, that game attracted an average of 38.3 million viewers. Think of that. That was on 38? CNBC. That's that's a lot that's of people. Insane. That's insane. I mean, well, yeah, like, you know, I'm trying to digest my pumpkin pie and then I got to watch the Raiders beat the Cowboys. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you can't digest after that. And they're just all laughing because they know how much on the inside it's churning on me that you know, the Cowboys <laughs> are losing as I'm trying to enjoy my friends, family. Yeah, and that's right. How dare they do then, that to you on Thanksgiving? Yeah, right. That's rude. <laughs> that's very rude. So let's say somebody walks up to you and you're a nice guy, Dave. So I, I know that you're not going to fight with anyone. But no. if someone comes up to you and they say, hey. You want to come over for Thanksgiving? And you say, yeah, sure. And they say, okay, great. We're going to eat during this time, but no football is on. How would you convince that person that they need to be watching football on Thanksgiving? That might be one of the best questions I've ever been asked (laughs) in my entire life. I will tell you this. um, I'm getting up there in age and I'm still single. And part of that reason might be that I would have to respectfully decline the invitation. (laughs) (laughs) There's no way I could do it. I couldn't pull it off. You got to respect the honesty. I got to be honest. I got to watch that cowboy game. It's just part of my DNA. Uh, Okay, so Dave, can you give me a preview of some of these games? Because even though they're traditions, the teams get better and worse. I mean, we know the roller coaster, or as you referred to it on my other Getting Schooled podcast that we did, the drama of sports. So talk to me about these three games. What should people be, be looking for? Well, I, I do think it does naturally favor the home team a little bit. That that Detroit game against Buffalo, you go, wow, Buffalo might be the best team in football, but they've got an injury situation right now with Josh Allen. He's got a UCL, uh, and we don't know the status as, as you and I are talking today, whether or not he's going to miss a game this week and does that lead into Thanksgiving in a couple weeks. So I'd really monitor that in his health situation. Uh, the Cowboys against the Giants is a huge matchup right now as it stands in the NFC East. Normally they don't schedule divisional opponents. I mentioned the Washington game back in 1990 obviously sticks out. But last year was the Raiders, a, you know, a non-divisional opponent. A couple years ago it was the Bills. Now they do play Washington here and there. But this is a big game for both teams because both teams are trying to chase down Philadelphia in the NFC East. I think it favors the Cowboys. They beat the Giants the first time when Cooper Rush was a quarterback and Dak Prescott was was out. Dak is now healthy. He is back. So the Cowboys have gotten a lot better. The Giants have been a really well-coached team with Brian Dable in his first year uh, at the helm there. But I think the Giants are going to recede a little bit towards the second half of the season. And I think the Cowboys might be taking off. For Detroit against Buffalo, even though it feels like a mismatch on paper, Detroit is not as bad as the general public might make them out to be. (laughs) I think it's going to be a tricky game for Buffalo because, remember, it's a short week, right? So they play on Sunday, and then you got to turn around and play that Thursday game. And, you know, Detroit and the Cowboys being those home teams, you don't have to travel. It it just puts a little bit more on the schedule for the visiting team here. So 
I would say be be cautious. I think that the Detroit game would be more competitive than people think, but I do think in the end the Cowboys will take care of the Giants. Yeah, and I will say I feel like the people who are going to show out the most of fans, and nothing against Cowboys fans, but Buffalo Bills, when you add all that wine and beer you're drinking on Thanksgiving and you add that to the Bills Mafia, I can't even imagine what those fans are... (laughs) People are going to be going through tables left and right. Yeah, the Thanksgiving table is going to get a a few of those are going to get cracked in half. They don't clean it. They just go right through it. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I love it. Football is here, and we've teamed up with Restoration One for something that will make any fan yell, boot at. We want to send you and a guest to NOLA for an NFL experience that you'll never forget. It's the ultimate boot at experience, and we're giving you the chance to see New Orleans play up close and personal, live from the plaza level of the Caesars Superdome. Score a pair of tickets to Dome Home Games, as well as a pair of passes to hang out with DJ Digital at the official VIP tailgate, a fully catered pregame party put on by Bullseye Event Group, with free food and an open bar on the rooftop patio of Benson Tower overlooking Champion Square. And thanks to our friends at Legends Bar and Grill, even when the black and gold are playing on the road, you can still celebrate black and gold style at home with a Legends Tailgate prize pack. Beat the squad with 10 burgers, 10 wraps, and 20 bags of chips. You can enjoy at a Legends location or on the big screen at the house. The weekly deadline to enter will be Thursday at midnight. You only need to enter once per game, but every week will be a new opportunity for you to win. All you need to play is the KPL News app. So download it now and enter to win today. Restoration One is your local business to help with any water, fire, and mold damage. Call 337-RESTORE. That's 337-RESTORE to get your property back to its full glory. Questions about youth or high school sports? Positive Coaching Alliance can help. PCA, a national nonprofit organization, develops better athletes and better people through youth and high school sports. Info at positivecoach.org. So we covered the history of Thanksgiving and staple holiday entertainment from parades to football. What else are we missing? That's right. Dinner. Here to take us on a journey of delicious Thanksgiving recipes is frequent contributor on Top Chef, Chef David Burke. How's it going, David? I'm doing great. How are you? (laughs) I'm even better now. I mean, you are one of the best known and most respected chefs in modern American cuisine. So I cannot imagine anyone better to have on this podcast than you. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. <laughs> Let's just start with uh, what are some of the Thanksgiving dinner staples? I mean, obviously, we have the turkey. We've got the sweet potatoes. But in your mind, what do you think? Well, you know, every you know, when you think of Thanksgiving, immediately you think of the turkey, right? And the stuffing and the sweet potatoes and or whatever potatoes it is. And then the vegetables come in. Cranberry relish, gravy, all of that stuff that surrounds the main course is what you think about. And, of course, pies. So I think... And and oftentimes you forget about the appetizers. Like, mm. what are the appetizers for Thanksgiving? Now, the appetizers uh, they they vary from the home uh, home cooking versus restaurant cooking. Restaurant cooking for Thanksgiving is much different than than home cooking because of probably just tradition and lack of space. So where would you like to start? Let's talk about those appetizers because I I okay. feel like my appetizer is usually like a cocktail or wine. <laughs> you need that too. Yeah. That's an aperitif. aperitif. 
Um, <laughs> exactly. In a restaurant, you know, we, we usually serve us uh, fall salads, butternut salads, sometimes goat cheese, dry cranberries, uh, you know, even a crudite for, for home use. You know, you want some hams. You know, traditional, you know, American ham, Kentucky ham. What you can use prosciutto, uh, maybe with some squashes, mushrooms, uh, you know, vinaigrette, things that are in season. Chowders are big in a restaurant for the fall for Thanksgiving. You know, you think about the, the pilgrims, et cetera, et cetera. The New England clam chowder uh, would have been a big one. Butternut squash soup, pumpkin soups, things like that. Anything with... Uh, with nuts, you know, in a salad, like candied pecans in a goat cheese uh, salad, for example. Oysters are big. Oysters Rockefeller, baked oysters, clams, you know, those types of shrimp cocktail or, or a shellfish appetizers or smoked salmon and smoked ham are usually good appetizers because they don't compete with the turkey. You're telling me that ham is an appetizer? Ham is an I have been doing this wrong my entire life. Well, rather, not to blame my parents, but <laughs> and so I, I always just see the ham served with the turkeys. So that's interesting to, to know well, that it is a an appetizer. Well, I think you can listen. You can put the ham. You can cube up the ham and put it on top of warm oysters and bake it. You can mm. slice the ham super thin like a prosciutto. I, I like it better as an appetizer for Thanksgiving because you get the saltiness with your cocktail at the beginning. <laughs> and if you want ham, if you want the traditional ham, even if it's little bites with mustard as appetizers or put them in a salad, you right. make ham croutons and sear them, heat them up. Your ham and uh, and bread fried together as croutons together it works nice on a salad too. One of the biggest things that are, I guess, biggest challenges for people when they're cooking on Thanksgiving is that the turkey is too dry. So if you um, are cooking at home, how do you ensure that that does not happen? You well, there's no. If you're going to leave the turkey whole, you can't ensure that. So the only way you're going to make that turkey really on point, you got to take the legs off. Or you got to cook it whole and then cut the legs open a little bit. But it's a, you know you might as well take the legs off and then cook the two breasts on the carcass. So you got some what sort of a presentation. Um, but otherwise, you just you know you turn it upside down. You can do this and that doesn't. You, the breast meat cooks at one forty five and the dark meat cooks at one sixty five. So in order for you to cook the leg meat, you have to cook the breast overcook the breast. Period. End of the conversation. So that is interesting. I don't like the legs anyway, so I don't even care. Take them off. Um, <laughs> right, right. Well, again, you could you could present the turkey, uh, you know, take the photo and start quiet and then put take the dark meat off and throw it under the broiler and cook it. If you really want that whole that family photo with the turkey on the table. But otherwise, you're going to have to overcook. You know, I. I'm always curious about just kind of the origins of things. We have the traditional uh, Thanksgiving meal items. We talked about the turkey, the stuffing, things like that. Where did all that come from? Why do we eat what we eat on Thanksgiving? Um, well, re usually traditional foods are based on geography and where it started. Cranberries obviously come from the Northeast, and that's where Thanksgiving started, right? Mm. They don't have, you know, where the pecans came in, that came probably later for pecan pie because pecans weren't raised up north. But you would certainly have uh, cornbread from the from the corn and the Indians, right? That, that the cornbread, the... Uh, 
uh, the cranberry, the vegetables of the fall, which would be Brussels sprouts and creamed onions, mushrooms, green beans are always available. Um, parsnips, sweet potatoes, yams, those are all fall things that are seasonal and regional to the Northeast. Uh, pumpkins, obviously, for the pie. And apples, obviously, in the fall for the pie. So right. things are things back then were definitely more seasonal and regional because you didn't have transportation to get raspberries from California in the winter. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, things like so. So you don't see strawberry shortcake on a Thanksgiving. Day. <laughs> you, see, you see whatever was in season and what was in that region, which is really the proper way to eat. Why but turkey would, and why ham? Well, pigs were abundant and turkeys were abundant and they were mm-hmm. probably easy to raise and catch, right? And and also slaughter mm-hmm. and, and affordable. I mean, you have to think back a couple hundred years ago that there was tons of turkeys and there was, uh, and p- pigs were an essential part. You know, they, people had pigs and chickens like they have uh, pets now. Right. You know? And turkeys were, turkeys were abundant like bison was, you know, but bison's a little harder to kill and, and, um, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but the the bisons were out west. Right. So those things, like I said, the soups, the cranberries certainly are, are right right there. And you know, you had uh, you have rum desserts and apple apple brandy desserts and things like that also that were, you know, local. Yeah, that makes sense because people are were also trying to live off the land and like you said, the transportation right. wasn't as technologically advanced as it is now. Right. Well, you also had pickles, people pickled things, you had the uh, olives and and relish trays. You know, people had the uh, they would, you know, they would preserve things back then too. So, you know, cranberries were like a preserve, mm-hmm. you know, but that was in season. But you had other things that the uh, People stocked up for the winter. Ham was salted. They killed the ham throughout the year and they salted the ham so they could eat. You know, when you, the word salary comes from salt because if you had salt, you were wealthy way before refrigeration because without salt, you couldn't preserve your meat to get through the winter. Ham comes from the preservation and being able to slaughter your your, uh, your pork salted for several months so you had meat throughout the winter. Kind of when you study food and how time progresses, every year brings new trends. Is there anything that is new and trendy to the Thanksgiving menu this year? Uh, well, I don't. Uh, I like parsnips and parsley root. Harder to get than uh, harder to hard to get in the supermarket. I like to uh, throw a little quinoa into Thanksgiving mm-hmm. now and some bar. I like barley. Also, barley is another good fall item, like a barley soup. Yeah, I don't see that. Um, and uh, I, eventually, you'll see a. There's a good product out there for the meatless eaters that like plant based food. It's called corn. Q O R and corn. Uh, uh, it's like a, it's a meatless chicken protein. And it, 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 for somebody that doesn't want to eat turkey, they make like some patties. And I got to be honest with you, they're pretty good. Mm. You know, some of the other ones are not as good, but it's called Q-O-R-N. And I think um, um, Drew, Drew Barrymore pr- promotes it. I think she's the spokesperson. I've tried it. It's pretty good. Okay. I'm not... Uh, I'm not against plant-based, but I'm also not a plant-based eater, 100%. But that one's a good alternative for those listening that want to try something that don't want to just eat vegetables, uh, but want to try something crispy and crunchy. So those plant-based things perhaps are a little more rough. And I think some people eat their lasagna and some people go off the, uh, might eat a roast duck. But, you know, trend-wise, you know, you got some plant-based stuff. You've got... uh, 
I think produce and vegetables and, and grains are, are starting to take a little more center stage, especially with the increased cost of meat mm-hmm. and fish. And I think it's also a healthy alternative. I mean, you can have a smaller steak and more grains and vegetables and eat a healthier lifestyle. And I think you'll still be satisfied. Yeah, it's hard to talk about new additions to Thanksgiving menus because it is about tradition. And I am a traditional person. I like to really lean into that tradition. But, you know, some people are different. They like to add things. Well, and good point about the, the um, you know, the meatless options. Well, what we've done also in the past, last year is we also we give you an option to have lobster gravy instead of uh, regular gravy on mm. your on your uh, on your turkey, so it's almost like a lobster bisque with pieces of lobster, even lobster in the stuffing or serving a little lobster or shrimp with green beans or adding a little bit of shellfish to one of your your uh, one of like on top of the mashed potatoes or with some leeks and onions, so that it's just a little it's just an addition. I can confidently say I feel like I'm going to elevate my Thanksgiving experience with all of these suggestions, and I hope that our listeners do as well. So, Chef David Burke, everyone, thank you so much for coming on, and happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. All right. After that last conversation, I am officially hungry, so it's good that we got some great tips from Chef David Burke. Thank you so much for joining me, Abby Hornacek, on the Getting Schooled Thanksgiving tradition special from Fox News Audio. I hope you all have a blissful and blessed Thanksgiving. How can you help a child in need during the holiday season? Rose's Angels. Here at News Talk 96.5 KPL, we are teaming up once again with Robin McMillan of McMillan's Pub to gather gifts for kids in Acadiana who otherwise wouldn't be getting a gift this year. Robin helps to get presents for kids in lots of different groups throughout Acadiana. Boys and Girls Clubs of Acadiana, Casa, Arch, Smile. Other requests come in. Hundreds of children need help. Robin, through Rose's Angels, is asking for help, and we would be humble by what you could do. If you'd like to adopt a child, all you have to do is call Robin's number, 337-781-7069. That's 337-781-7069. That's 337-781-7069 to become one of Rose's angels. It's an easy process. Thank you so much from all of us at News Talk 96.5 Abel. Join me, Todd Starnes, every Saturday night from 9 to midnight as I sit down with some of the biggest names in politics and give my take on news that matters to you here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. I'm Connell McShane. This is the Fox Business Report. In the last few years, Advent calendars have increased in popularity for adults. Nick's Professional Makeup now offers 24 days of makeup sale for less than $30 for Black Friday, filled with lip gloss, blush, and eyeshadow. And Sephora jumps into the game with 24 days of beauty surprise from the comp's own brand. Big box retailers Costco and Rose Club both offer adult calendars featuring wine and beer. And you'll also be able to score cookie, cheese, fruit spread, spice, or coffee calendars from David's and Williams Sonoma, starting at about $50. And one in your life, Lego calendars are back. That's your Fox Business Report. I'm Ginny Cosola, invested in you. 
Did you know that you can save up to half on your wireless plan when you switch to Consumer Cellular? They offer unlimited talk and text with a flexible data plan starting at just $20 a month with the same premium coverage as the nation's largest carriers. Plus, their winning customer support makes switching a breeze. Go to ConsumerCellular.com slash Radio 25. And for a limited time, get $25 off when you use promo code RADIO25. This is Moon Graffon. I've always believed there's two types of fishermen. There are people like me that love to fish. And there are people like Don Dubuque who can catch fish. And that's why you need to listen to The Outdoor Show with Don Dubuque Saturdays from 5 to 7 a.m. Here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Brought to you by Louisiana's number one Chevy dealer seven years in a row. Service Chevrolet Cadillac. Find new roads. News Talk 96.5 KPEL, Brobridge, Lafayette, a Town Square media station. Broadcasting from the Matthew James Financial Studio. It's a Thanksgiving tradition. I'm Dave Anthony, Fox News. The Macy's Parade on a sunny morning in New York City. Millions watching on TV. 8,000 participants, 16 character balloons, 28 floats, cheerleaders, marching bands, and of course the Rockettes. Fox's Tanya J. Powers out on 6th Avenue. There's about two and a half miles of the parade route, and along that route will be about 3 million spectators. They've been gathering since 5 o'clock this morning. It's huge. There's about 5,000 volunteers that work behind the scenes to put all this on. It's a beautiful day here in Midtown Manhattan for the official start of the holiday season. At the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, Tanya J. Powers, Fox News. More Americans on the road today, among the more than 54 million of us traveling for Thanksgiving, paying gas prices that are at record highs for this holiday, though AAA's national average for regular at $3.58 a gallon is 14 cents cheaper than a week ago. In Chicago, a nightmare on the road, a driver going the wrong way. At a very high rate of speed entered this intersection behind me and struck seven cars. Chicago Police Superintendent David Brown says the driver and passenger in the speeding Dodge Charger were killed. Six adults, two children were injured in the other vehicles last night. They still don't know why in Chesapeake, Virginia, why a Walmart manager started shooting in the break room of the store late Tuesday, killing six co-workers, injuring six more. Last night, there was a vigil in the parking lot. I can't believe somebody would have that much business in their heart to just to, to just to shoot everybody like that. The victims who were killed were in age ranges from 16 to 70. Police still do not know the motive. The gunman shot and killed himself before officers went into the store. America's listening to Fox News. If you have certain chronic conditions, such as heart disease, asthma, diabetes, and you're 19 years of age or older, 52, 36, 42, you may be at increased risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar 20, pneumococcal 20-valent conjugate vaccine, a Pfizer vaccine that can help protect against pneumococcal pneumonia in just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower risk 
response to the vaccine. The most commonly reported side effect was pain at the injection site. For additional common side effects and full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. I'm going to ask my doctor about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20. Your 24-7 news source on air, online, and with the Cape Hill News app. Now the headlines from the Cape Hill News Center. For Cape Hill News, I'm Brandon Como. An Opelousa City Councilman's job may be on the line because of where he lives. St. Landry Parish District Attorney Chad Pete filed a petition in an Opelousa's court to remove Opelousa City Councilman Floyd Ford from office because Pete's petition alleges that Ford does not live in his district and that his actual address is different from the one listed in the Louisiana Secretary of State's elected officials database. That's according to our news partners at KETC. According to Pete's filing in court, the petition is based on a complaint from Delita Broussard, Ford's opponent in the December runoff for the District B seat. Ford won office in 2018 and is currently running for re-election. A hearing is set for November 30th at 9 a.m. to decide whether or not to remove Ford from office. Lafayette-based restaurant delivery service ASAP, formerly known as Waiter, says they will lay off 100 employees shortly after January 1st. ASAP cites a, quote, prolonged decrease in revenue, end quote, as the reason for the reduction in force. The company says they lost about $73 million in the third quarter. They blame competition and deliveries, inflation, and high fuel prices. And don't forget, Saturday is Small Business Saturday, a day to do some Christmas shopping at the local mom-and-pop stores. But for today... For everyone here at News Talk 96.5 KPL, we want to wish you and your family a happy Thanksgiving.